Walker. Ashley, would you please do roll call? Commissioner Anderson? Here. Commissioner Hallisey? Here. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? Here. Commissioner Louie? Here. Commissioner Mazzola? Here. Commissioner Wintraub? Here. Commissioner Zwart? Present. The San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatishaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As stewards of parkland, we recognize our duty to honor the Ohlone through thoughtful and informed preservation and interpretation of ancestral land. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. Good morning and welcome to the Recreation and Park Commission meeting of January 18th, 2024. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall, room 416, with options to join and provide public comment in person and remotely. We ask that you please turn off electronic devices and take any secondary conversations outside in order for the meeting to proceed as efficiently as possible. We ask listeners to turn down your televisions and or computers while listening on the phone. We ask for your patience if we experience any technical issues. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Unless otherwise announced by the president, each person will have two minutes for public comment on each item. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending their meeting remotely. If you would like to speak on any item today, we request but do not require you to complete a blue card. For those who would like to join the meeting remotely, you may view the meeting live on SFGov TV or via webinar using the link provided at the top of today's agenda. You may provide public comment remotely via our webinar or via phone by calling 415-655-0001 using today's access code, which is 2662-943-1957 and the webinar password, which is 0118. When you hear the agenda item you would like to comment on, call dial star three to be added to the queue to speak. All callers will remain on mute until their line is open. Everyone must account for time delays and speaking discrepancies between live coverage and streaming. Please address your comments to the commission during public comment in order to allow equal time for all. Neither the commission nor staff will respond to any questions during public comment. The commission may ask questions of staff after public comment is closed. If there is an item of interest to you that is not on the agenda and is under the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, you may speak under general public comment and that is item four and continue to item 14. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways, by emailing recpark.commission at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be included in the legislative file as part of the matter. Written comments may also be sent via the U.S. Postal Service to San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission, 501 Stanyan Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. The following are short announcements for those of you joining us in person. If the fire alarms activate, you must evacuate the building in an orderly fashion using any exit. Please note that elevators will immediately return to the first floor and are not available for use. If you need assistance out of the building, please make your way to the closest area of refuge, which is directly across the hall in the men's restroom. Inside the restroom is a speaker box, press it and City Hall security will answer. Let them know your location and they will assist you. Please note that this commission meeting is recorded and will be available for later viewing on SFGov TV. We are now on item two, President's report. Thank you, Ashley. I'd like to defer item two until the end of the meeting, please. If you could remind me okay. before we adjourn. We will move item two until the end. We are now on item three, general manager's report. Good morning, commissioners, and happy new year. 
forgive me, I uh, did not get hit in the mouth with a pickleball or a racket. I had a uh, tooth extracted yesterday, uh, so I am uh, a little uh, a little puffy here, and you'll have to. My speech is just okay at the moment. We'll get you a nice pack. Thank you. I need one, okay. and particularly after this meeting. Okay. Um, all right. It is the start of the new year, and our 2023 community report uh, was released yesterday with all of the highlights from this past year. If you haven't seen it, please take a look. It's Excellent. electronic. We'll have hard copies for everyone. It's really exciting. Some of the best moments this past year included the renovation of UN Plaza into a clean and safe public space filled with fun and free activities. 13,000 square feet skating plaza has been put to good use, teeming with skaters and onlookers. Uh, our city is the only U.S. city to adopt a design at this scale that thoughtfully integrates both pedestrians and skaters, and it's something we should all be proud of. We made very significant progress out at India Basin Waterfront Park with the second phase of our, of our really, really big project underway uh, and anticipated uh, to be complete later this year. We will be cutting a ribbon on phase two of the project and hopefully breaking ground on our third, uh, I won't say final phase, but our third phase of, of the project. Super exciting. Uh, India Basin includes uh, uh, a national best practice equitable development plan, which uh, raises funds and it's a community-led strategic plan uh, the intent of which is to strengthen the, the, the resiliency and stability of the existing neighborhood and make sure that the park serves this community, uh, not who might come next because we're making such significant investment in the space. Uh, an example of our equitable development plan at work is our Bayview Safety Swim and Splash program, which provides free swim lessons for neighborhood kids, including any kid named Miles. Uh, who continues to throw uh, that so that every kid knows how to swim. We've got a workforce development program that graduated 16 construction professionals after they underwent a four-week training that, prepa that prepares them for union careers as carpenters and laborers and cement masons and other skilled workers. Um, also this year, our beloved Goldman Tennis Center was selected by the U.S. Tennis Association to receive the 2023 Outstanding Facility Award. Uh, in addition, the State of the Art Center also earned the association's top recognition featured Facility of the Year Award. And yes, the Goldman Tennis Center includes five dedicated pickleball courts. We've made advancements with pickleball, and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this in a second, because we know some people are here to vent. Uh, uh, adding eight new pickleball courts at Larson. We also added three indoor courts at the Palace of Fine Arts. Uh, this is all part of a larger effort, which I'm gonna comment more uh, later, but to date, we have 87 total places to play pickleball in the city. Just five short years ago, there were 18. And those 18 evolved rather quickly. We also com completed and began several renovation projects at our parks throughout the year, including Hers Playground, Fillmore Turk Mini Park, Merced Heights Playgrounds Lower Terrace, Esprit Park, and more. In total, Rec and Park had 18 park improvement projects 
in construction in 2023 alone with project budget budgets totaling over $150 million. Uh, lastly, during the 2023 fiscal year, our parks averaged a 91% citywide park maintenance score, meaning our parks remain pristine, accessible, safe, clean, and joyous for all. It was a good year. Um, to view the entire community report, please visit our website at sfrecpark.org. Um, I am sure the president is going to comment upon this at the end. So we are getting used to the dance of not stepping on each other's reports. But I did want to uh, acknowledge our two newest commissioners, uh, Commissioner Weintraub and Commissioner Zwart, who uh, were uh, uh, celebrated during a, a official ceremonial swearing in, meaning you've been at work now for a few months, but uh, you didn't get the joy until this past, I guess, a week ago of the official swearing-in uh, hosted by Mayor Breed. And we were very proud to do this at McLaren Lodge, which back in the day was where all these commission meetings took place. Uh, so there was a lot of history. Um, thank you both for, uh, for signing up uh, for, this, uh, for this work. And thanks to all the commission for guiding us, each of you for guiding us on what was a, a really successful year. And as we've discussed, and you'll hear more about later, we've got some choppy seas ahead and we're gonna continue to need your steady hand on the tiller. So we uh, appreciate you and wanna thank you in advance. Um, I want to, uh, announce at the dais uh, the promotion of Eric Anderson to our director as our direct new director of operations. Eric has been with the department for well over a decade delivering outstanding work uh, and ensuring that our parks are well maintained, safe and open to all. In his former role as superintendent of parks and open space, he managed some 360 staff members who carry out landscaping and custodial duties at more than are 225. I actually think that number's getting a little stale after Mission Bay. I think we're closer to 240 parks and open spaces. Mm -hmm. Eric has been serving, uh, had been serving as our acting director of operations over the last few months and did an excellent job. Uh, in his new role, he'll lead over 10 work di divisions, including our recreation and community services division, our structural maintenance yard, our park rangers, urban forestry, PSA managers, and so much more. These divisions actually cover about 85% of our department staff. I'm thankful to Eric's leadership and I'm really excited to, to work with him uh, and all of you in the, in the years to come. Uh, last week, uh, and thank you President Anderson for, for attending, last week we said goodbye to a really a groundbreaking art installation at Golden Gate Park's Music Concourse, Monumental Reckoning. This art installation consisted of 350 four-foot-high sculptures crafted in black steel and vinyl tubing uh, that represented Africans stolen from their homeland and brought to the United States. This piece came at a critical time as this country began reevaluating the kinds of monuments that belong in public spaces. We unveiled the piece on the eve of Juneteenth, 2021, with a large celebration featuring music and dancing. Art in our public spaces has the extraordinary power to transcend boundaries, initiate conversations, and forge connections. Monumental Reckoning did just that. 
over the past two years, it became a catalyst for dialogue, a chronicle of black history in America, and a powerful reminder that our parks can be living, breathing reflections of our shared history. I want to thank uh, the artist responsible for this installation, Dana King, for creating this powerful and provocative art, as well as illuminate our partner in Golden Gate Park on so many things for helping to bring it to Golden Gate Park. Okay, let's talk pickleball. First, we are excited to announce six new dual line pickleball courts coming to Moscone Playground. The new plan calls for the two tennis courts adjacent to the Marina Branch Library to be dual lined as quickly as the weather will allow us to do it. Um, uh, I am very grateful to, we are grateful to Supervisor uh, Catherine Stephanie for some financial support and some leadership to get these installed. Um, and this expansion comes as we just opened eight new dedicated pickleball courts at Carl Larson. We fully understand the popularity and passion of what is the fastest growing sport in America. The sport's explosion over the last few years has led us, inspired us, and challenged us to work steadily, diligently, with great focus to increase the number of places to play. We are a dense urban city. Every single blade of grass, every square inch of sport court or hard surface is spoken for. So to accommodate the needs and desires of pickleball players all across the city is not just a challenge for us here, it has been a challenge nationally. We love the sport. One of our commissioners is a huge pickleball advocate. She has given me a beautiful necklace full of pickleballs and a paddle to remind me just how much she loves the sport. I love the sport. I really like to play. I'm getting, not just because I'm getting older, because, uh, you know, tennis is a high-skilled sport. Well, so is pickleball, actually. Anyway, pickleball is great. My cousin Ezra plays pickleball. He loves it. He goes out there several times a week. We get it. And to those in the audience, we get it. We understand how popular and how passionate and how important this sport is, which is why in five short years, five short years, we have gone from 12 courts in this city to 87 total places to play. Several people here are upset that we have, are, are going to remove the lines from two, uh, the pickleball lines from two tennis courts in, at uh, Presidio Wall. Uh, pickleball lines are on four courts. We are moving them to two courts. I'd like to explain why. While 
Many people who play pickleball don't know that a pickleball working group actually exists. It does. It is a group of uh, representatives of pickleball uh, players and advocates uh, who have been advocating for a long time to find spaces to accommodate this fast-growing sport. Many months ago, we reached an agreement with the Pickleball Working Group to temporarily expand pickleball access at Presidio Wall until eight new full-time dedicated courts at Larson were completed. They are complete. Every site is different, and this is our challenge, right? We all have to share in this city, and we all have responsibility. Our Parks Department has a responsibility to be a good neighbor. Given the proximity of this sport, which, as we all know, has a very, very noisy ball, and invites large groups of people to congregate. And again, that's fun. We get it. But that those two front courts were having a rather significant impact on other recreational uses, on the ability to access the site for other reasons, and something that we have to take seriously on the mental health of some of the neighbors. We you're the <laughs> folks. That's not. That's actually not funny. It's actually quite serious, to the point where we have received lots and lots of complaints, very serious ones, threats of lawsuits, people who've been forced to move out of their homes. Guys, please, please do not make audible don't comments. Do it. Thank you. I'm not exaggerating. I'm being quite serious, and it is actually disrespectful to just laugh that off. Now, we all have to balance needs and uses. This department is very pro-pickleball. We want to find access for everyone. But again, I'm just going to keep repeating, 18 to 87. So, most importantly, there was an agreement to do just that, which is to remove those two front courts at the point in which the Larson courts opened. So, that is what we're going to do. We are going to continue to work with all of you. We are going to continue to grow the sport. We're going to help accommodate the growth in the sport. But this is going to require some sharing. And it's going to require some inconvenience for different stakeholders at different times. So I know that people have a lot to say about this. So with that, I will conclude the general manager's report and invite respectful public comment. Thank you, Phil. So we will now move to public comment on the general manager's report. Um, 
I know many of you are here for pickleball, and I have all of you down for item four. So if you just want to comment on anything else in Phil's report, we can do that now. Is there anyone here to comment on anything in Phil's general manager report besides pickleball, because I'm going to get to that next. Okay, seeing no comment, public comment is closed. We will now move to, move to item four, which is general public comment on items that are not on today's agenda. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission and that do not appear on the agenda. With respect to agenda items, you will have opportunity to address the commission when the item is reached in the meeting. A couple of notes for folks. Um, if you haven't commented before, there is a timer right underneath the microphone, so you can take a look at that. It'll chime at 30 seconds. That means you have 30 more seconds, so you don't have to stop at that point. Um, the second thing I will say is it's up to the president if we continue past 15 minutes for item four. If we don't get to everyone in that 15 minutes and we still have lots of folks to go and the president decides to continue it to later in the meeting, that will be item 14. So if we don't get to you for item four, you will be able to comment again during item 14. Um, I also have three people who are not commenting on pickleballs. I'm gonna call them first so that they can, you know, get out of here if they would like to. Ashley, a word, please. What's that? I, I, have, oh, I just so want to add, yep. um, I will keep uh, this first bit of general comment to 15 minutes. So what I suggest is for the pickleball advocates, pick your strongest speakers and be sure that each person says something new and different. Um, we get it, you know, what the issues are. That would be my advice. Okay, I'm going to start with Cyrus and then Tom and then Stephen. Good morning. Uh, thank you for your service, commissioners, staff, and community members. I'm proud to be here today to tell you about an exceptional group of young athletes aged 13 to 17 that all of us can be proud to have in our community. Ten of these young athletes will join Team USA this year as they compete in our sports world championship in Malaysia this July. These athletes have been training for this moment for nearly a decade. The 10 young youngsters I'm here to tell you about are the third set of athletes our club has sent to Youth World Championships. The first set was in 2015, when five of our athletes made Team USA and competed in Spain. Two years later, 15 of our athletes made Team USA and competed in Australia. Our program to train youth athletes began in 2008, and we're incredibly proud that through the generous support of SF Rec and Park and our adult athletes, we've been able to train youth athletes free of charge for over 15 years. These athletes play a sport called underwater hockey. We train athletes at Martin Luther King Jr. Pool in the Bayview Hunters Point, and while the club dates back to the 1970s, our youth program began in October 2008. It takes nearly a decade to train an athlete to be competitive at a world championship level. We're lucky to have the world championships among our adult volunteer coaching ranks, Two of our head coaches recently received an accommodation from our Board of Supervisors for their unwavering commitment to the youth in our community. We have a lot to be proud of. The program is simply incredible. Can you imagine getting to play for your country at a world championship before you graduate from high school? That's what these athletes are doing. They'll be able to achieve anything in life, and that's our expectation of them, just as it is for ourselves. Thank you. Okay, Cyrus. Thank you so much. Good morning. 
um, when our club leadership um, told the youth that we were going to work with the city to put a smooth and safe surface on the bottom of the pool that they practice on every week, they scoffed at our ambition. But I'm here to let this commission know that our club has been going down this path for the past four months and will continue until we achieve what we've promised our amazing youth athletes. I'll be, oh, someone from our club will be here every month to provide an update and ask for your help in moving things forward. We should have come sooner. We've involved Supervisor Sharman Walton's office to help us, and we're working with ProSec. We could use this commission's help in breaking through the logjam that seems to be plaguing our requests. For example, three months ago, Stephen asked Rex and Park, Rec and Parks for dimension dra dimensioned drawings of the pool so we could seek quotes for a variety of acceptable surfaces for the bottom of the pool. Um, we still haven't received those plans from Rec and Parks, and we've had to resort to using a sunshine uh, request to get the plans. We've also received communications that we see as stalling tactics when communicating with the department's staff about how to collaborate on grants related to this improvement. With the commission aware of how important these improvements are to the youth in our community, a community that has been historically and systematically neglected by the city, we're confident we'll be able to make more meaningful progress this year. If you're not already aware, MLK Pool has, substantial, has a substantial quantity of deferred maintenance. We've been informed that the department is planning to make significant repairs this year and, re um, and re repair the pool bottom, which requires the pool to be drained, a rare occurrence. We believe this will be the only, only the second major renovation the pool has received since it opened in 1956. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Stephen? <clears throat> Thank you. I'll hopefully be completing our comments. Um, the first major renovation to the building was in 1986. According to that schedule, we're already eight years past due, and it shows. As a 501c3 public charity, our club has been applying for infrastructure grants to absorb any additional cost that a safe and smooth pool bottom would require. At a minimum, we need the existing plaster finish to be polished so our athletes don't experience road rash every time their skin comes in contact with the playing surface. We're also looking into epoxy surface treatments that are gaining popularity in Florida and Southern California for their longevity, ease of maintenance, smooth safety profile, and reasonable cost. To meet the standard of pools where world championships are played, we need a tiled bottom, and that's even more expensive. We're willing and to be flexible and advocate for what's best for all stakeholders. In addition to an improved bottom surface, we also need ways to fix walls to the bottom, a feature our youth don't get to train with today and keeps them at a disadvantage at national and international competitions. There's already an engineered method for adding flush attachment points on the bottom of the pool for 16-inch custom-built portable walls, and those walls will be provided by a national nonprofit that is organized for advancing underwater hockey in the United States. Walls are an important part of the game for our youth to train with. Make no mistake, we will be successful at delivering a safer pool bottom to our youth athletes and show them yet again that with hard work, anything is possible. Please help us to inspire them. If we miss this opportunity to make this improvement while the pool is already being refurbished, we may have to wait another 30 to 40 years. Some of our athletes might have grandchildren by then. 
We look forward to a generative partnership with the Commission. We ask that this Commission put us in contact directly with the stakeholders who are working on this improvement. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to begin calling um, folks here to comment on pickleball. I'll call three of you at a time. If I call your name, if you could please um, move it along by help by standing up and, and getting up from your seat. And I'm going to start with Mary, Peter, and then Lisa. I'm Mary Hickey, uh, USA Pickleball Ambassador. A USA Pickleball is a national governing body for the sport of pickleball in the United States. As a USA Pickleball Ambassador, my mandate is to promote and help grow the sport of pickleball in the Bay Area. As such, I plan to do everything I can to keep the 12 courts at Presidio Wall, since the wall has become a hub for pickleball in San Francisco. Regarding the sound concerns, I've supplied samples of noise-canceling curtains to Reckon Park. The noise-canceling curtains cut the sound by 60% of the pickleball noise. Secondly, USA Pickleball has worked with a company called Owl Pickleball, and they supply paddles that cut the noise again by 50%. And I'm certainly willing to do tests in, with that. Laguna Beach in Southern California had the same issue. They had pickleball courts encroaching with neighbors. Neighbors were complaining about sound. They did a test with Reckon Park and showed by using these Owl paddles, it could cut sound by over 50%. They let all that, those players that were near the neighbors use those owl paddles, problem solved, everybody is happy. So what I'm looking for today are two things. First, table all the, the requests to remove the rolling nets as well as any plans to paint over the pickleball lines at the wall until number two, a meeting can be held with the Presidio Wall pickleball community, the neighbors and Reckon Park to discuss the concerns the neighbors have. We would then like time to address their concerns with solutions that will work for all parties. We wish to have an independent moderator moderate that meeting. Thank you very much. Peter, and then Lisa, and then Naftali. I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. Good morning, and thanks very much for your time this morning. Um, my name is Peter Blattman. I'm a 40-year resident of San Francisco, avid pickleball player, and I've been playing at the Presidio Wall for the past six years. I think it's fair to say that all of us in the San Francisco pickleball community both understand and agree that Park and Rec needs to be responsive and balance both the concerns of local Presidio Wall homeowners and the interest of the pickleball enthusiasts who enjoy playing on the courts there. It certainly feels like there is a real lack of balance in the recent decision to eliminate six of the courts currently in heavily daily use, particularly in light of the 1,200 plus signatures on the petition, the recent petition opposing the elimination. For the hundreds of San, local San Francisco residents who play there, Presidio Wall has become not just a place to play pickleball, but of equal importance, a venue for highly desirable social interaction, particularly for those players of advanced age, including myself. And it's become an important part of their daily lives. Eliminating six courts on one side would overload the already heavily utilized six courts on the other side and extend the waiting time between games to more than an hour making the remaining courts functionally undesirable, especially on weekends when lots of younger players come to play. The new Larson courts, which Park and Rec has touted as a replacement for the six Presidio Wall courts to be eliminated, are not a legitimate substitute. They are effectively a replacement for the old Parkside courts and already packed on a daily basis by the players who used to play at Parkside. They have effectively added little new capacity for the San Francisco pickleball community. 
The location is also particularly inconvenient for the majority of Pacific Wall players. I'd like to examine more closely the rationale provided by Park and Rec in support of eliminating six of the pickleball courts at the wall and proposed mitigation efforts, as Mary discussed. One, no permits for the rolling nets, sort of ridiculous on its face and certainly easily remedied. Too many people using the courts causing both noise and congestion which bother local residents. A very legitimate concern, but true for any other public outdoor venue, pickleball venue. I'm in sorry, San your time has elapsed. Um, I have Lisa and then Naftali and then Susie. You might want to coordinate with someone to read the rest of your notes using their time. Sorry? You might want to coordinate with somebody to read the rest of your notes using their time. Okay, go ahead, please. You want me to finish this? Okay, then I won't say mine. The issue of noise has been addressed in many other communities around the country by installing sound-reducing curtains and dramatically reduced ambient noise for local residents. In addition, there are now paddles being manufactured. Mary already talked about this. The issue of parking is common to all San Francisco pickle and tennis venues. Parking at Larson is limited as it was at both Parkside and Stern Grove. A solution has been proposed to expand the parking spaces along the stone wall closest to the courts at Presidio Wall, but has not been actively considered by Park and Rec. Okay, I'm gonna read mine now. Sorry, Peter. Oh. In closing, I would strongly propose that Park and Rec suspend the elimination of the six Presidio Wall Courts and rather actively explore the solutions for mitigating the concerns of local homeowners as I've outlined. I believe the interests of the 1,200 individuals who have signed the current petition opposing the shutdown certainly warrant it. That's Peter's. My name is Lisa Shaw and I live in the inner Richmond. The appeal of pickleball to me and many others is a concept of open play. It is not necessary to make plans, reserve court time, or schedule it into your day. You just show up. The closer the courts and the greater the quantity, the better, which is why for me, Presidio Wall is ideal. It is a perfect pickleball hub for the entire north side of the city, and it would be devastating if courts were removed because of a few neighbor complaints. When the weather cooperates, all 12 courts are used 80% of the time. I know that the extended times were added because of Larson, but in the nine months they have been in place, usage has increased exponentially. In fact, the 20 to 40 year old crowd has taken over the weekends, congregating in a healthy, fun environment with their friends. I am a tennis player and also a certified pickleball coach, one of four that teaches at the Free Beginner Clinic on Tuesday mornings, but I'm not here with those hats on. I'm here as an extremely extroverted, empty nester who no longer has the everyday parent community I had for 15 years, and for me, Presidio Wall is my happy place, a place where at any time of day I can show up and see 20 plus people I know and like, and on top of it, get great exercise, conversation, and laughs. By the way, these people are both male and female and range in age from 20 to 83 and come from all different ethnicities. Thank you. <clears throat> so we have about two and a half minutes left. So I have Naftali and more Susie. Okay. Uh, my name is Naftali Often I play at Presidio Wall Park. And I want to address the fact that uh, this was um, considered a temporary solution for a year until Larson came up. I'd rather you think of it as a trial run and it's been wildly successful beyond anybody's imagination. I don't know any place in my life where I can meet people and get to know them and become friends with them who don't look exactly like me and don't have exactly the same dem demographic. This is a wildly uh, wonderful blend, and I would imagine that uh, Rec and Park would want to encourage it. It's unique, this particular place, and also, 
going across town to Larson, it takes me 10 minutes to get to Presidio Wall Park. It would take me more than a half an hour. For those of us who are on the north and east sides of the city, this is really a hardship. Uh, so I hope that you will take into consideration the uh, number of people who will be made very unhappy by this change. The old adage, if it ain't broken, don't fix it, seems to apply. Uh, do the right thing and uh, revisit this uh, poorly considered policy. Thank you. We have about another minute. Do you want to let the next person Can go? I last take his time, speaker. Well? He's got 34 seconds. Last, go ahead, ma'am. Okay, last great. speaker. Um, so I just want to point out an inaccuracy in RPDs and now Phil's um, comment and, uh, and response in the email um, about the lines being temporary. These lines were put in on March 2022, had nothing to do with Larson or Stern Grove discussion. The, the extended hours were done in May 2023. So the lines have nothing to do and they were never uh, spoken as temporary. It was a solution for the overflow from one and two and were to be permanent. Um, since you are saying that you're going to, to, to paint lines on every resurfaced tennis court. So why take six, why take six courts away? Um, pickleball at Presidio Walls increased more um, and tennis players have realized this and have found other places to play. So the tennis is not the issue. Pickleball, it's a hub where, as you said, everyone else has said, I just got totally thrown off. But um, anyway, it, the, it, it's almost as if we're being punished for using these courts too much. And those were Park and Rec's, Rec and Park's um, comments of extensive use. We are being punished for using courts that you guys are supplying. And in, in my opinion, um, you know, extensive use should be viewed as a positive result. It means that you're doing your job well by providing enriching recreational activity for the well-being of everyone in our diverse community. That's your mission statement. Um, there isn't any other activity that RPD provides that is free, that always, that, that draws all ages together as social and provides physical and mental health benefits. Finally, taking away six courts from PW and replacing them with six courts with no nets at Moscone is not meeting the growing demand as they are claiming. And those 87 courts that you keep speaking about do not have nets. We can count on probably two hands how many actual nets are there to be used. So please stop saying 87 courts. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll move okay, on. so for every item on the please refrain from from clapping. Um, for the remainder of people here, um, we have general public comment again at item fourteen. Yeah. So you're welcome to stick around for that. Okay. Um, seeing no further public comment, public comment is closed. We are now on item five, the consent calendar. Commissioners, is there anything you'd like to remove from the consent calendar today? Okay. Um, we'll now take public comment on item five, the consent calendar. Does anyone have any comment on item five? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioners. All right, the next item on the agenda is the election of officers. Mm, I think you need to vote on um, oh, sorry. the consent calendar. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll make a, a, a motion to approve the consent calendar. Yeah. Can I have a motion to approve the consent no calendar, please? And a second? Second. All right, all those in favor state aye. 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 Any opposition? 
None. All right. Motion carries. Consent calendar is approved. Okay. So we're now on item six, election of officers. Um, really quickly, commissioners, I will go through the procedure as a reminder. So first we'll take public comment on item six, then we'll open nominations for um, president. We'll, make, we'll need a motion and a second to open the nominations. Then the nominations begin. All nominations need a motion and a second. When the nominations are complete, we will then move to voting on any of the nominations and we'll repeat the process for vice president. Would you like to say anything, President Anderson, before we get started with this? I don't think so. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so first we'll take public comment on item six. Is there anyone here to comment on the election of officers? What? Okay. Um, we'll now move to opening nominations. So we need um, a motion and a second to open the nominations for president. So moved. Second. Okay, all in favor of opening the nominations? Aye. Aye. Okay, great. Aye. Thank you. Okay, so um, the nominations are now open for president. Does anyone wish to make a nomination? Uh, yes. I would like to nominate Kat Anderson to continue in her role as president of this commission. Uh, I have served with Kat for three and a half years now on the commission. Um, we have become friends, but more important in my nomination today is speaking about her qualifications as a colleague. Uh, she has more experience on this commission. She's approaching eight years now than anyone else. She has earned the right to uh, be president. I believe the last four months have been a small sample size of what she can do. She is a tremendous communicator. Talks to everybody about everything and not just fellow commission members. She communicates well with Phil, with Sarah, members of, of the staff, uh, with the workers uh, in this department. And above all, she loves her city in general but specifically she loves this department. And that is why I am proposing that we let her continue as president because I feel it's only going to get better under her leadership. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, nominations need a second. Would anyone like to second that? I yep. second. Commissioner like, Mazzola. I would like to second that. Um, you know, Joe, you stole everything I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, everything. So I would just second that nomination. <laughs> okay. Um, is it, would anyone else like to nominate another person? Or speak, generally. <clears throat> I have no other requests to speak. Okay. So um, seeing no other nominations, nominations are closed. Now we will take the vote on the nomination by roll call. So the nomination of Kat Anderson for the Office of President is before us. Would you like me to call you last, Commissioner Anderson? I'll call sure. Commissioner Hallisey. Yes, aye. Okay. Commissioner Jupiter Jones. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. Commissioner Zola. Mazzola. Aye. Commissioner Wintraub. Aye. Commissioner Zwart. Aye. And Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Okay, the motion passes. Congratulations. Thank Kat, you. Would you like to say anything? I'll say it at at the end of okay. the election. Great. So now we're gonna move on to vice president. 
So um, we need a motion and a second to open the nominations for a vice president. I have a motion. Do I have a second? Second. All right. Okay. Um, all in favor of opening the nominations for vice president, state aye. 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 Okay. We'll begin the nominations for vice president. Commissioner um, Louis. I, I would like to nominate uh, Commissioner Joe Hallisey as our vice president of our Recreation and Park Commission. Um, Joe has done a fine job this past year as our uh, acting pr vice president. And I think, uh, uh, commissioners, I hope you agree with me, he, he's been a mentor for many of us. And Joe exemplifies uh, basically everything good and fair. And he is a, he's a great leader, he's a, a humble teacher, and he has very thoughtful uh, oversight skills. He cares a lot about the public, about the residents of San Francisco, about sports, youth, um, ADA access, uh, equity, and uh, all his other jobs, um, he, he does, we do benefit from, from all of that, his past. Um, um, occupation as a, a fireman and uh, um, a sports announcer at, at many of the uh, venues in San Francisco, uh, specifically with the USF Dons. And um, I have seen him speak at Chase Center. You know, when you're when you're when you're announcing for you know basketball at one of the most beautiful venues in San Francisco, you know, and Joe does a great job. So he, he's a big voice here on the commission. And so um, I would like to nominate him as our continuing vice president because uh, no matter how, if the topic is simple or complex, he puts in the same effort. Thank you. Would anyone like to second the nomination? I would like to second the nomination of Commissioner Hallisey for Vice President, um, echoing everything Commissioner Louie said. Um, my buddy on the commission, we started this journey together and it's been a joy to do this work with you. Always um, do this work with love for the city and equity at heart shows up for everything and I have 100% trust in your leadership and I'm excited to continue it this year. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, would anyone else like to make a nomination before we close nominations? Okay, seeing no other nominations, nominations are closed. We'll now take a vote on the nomination by roll call. The nomination of Joe Halsey for the Office of Vice President. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Jupiter Jones. Aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. Commissioner Mazzola. Aye. Commissioner Wintraub. Aye. Commissioner Zwart. Aye. And Commissioner Halsey. I suppose I. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So congratulations, Commissioner Hallisey. I open it to you all to say what uh, you'd like. Joe, would you like to say uh, a few words? Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, and, and congratulations to you, uh, President Anderson. I, I'm just emboldened by the faith and, and all of you that, uh, to serve in this uh, position as Vice President, and um, I hope I justify your faith in me. Uh, but I really appreciate the support from everyone. I, I love this commission, and I love this department, and I'm, I'm anxious to, to keep it uh, moving forward, as all of you are as well, and, and so thanks very much for your support.
Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Um, there's a request to speak from Commissioner Anderson. So yes, Commissioner Anderson, would you like to say a few words? Congratulations, Joe. <laughs> thank you. Um, and thank you to my colleagues. Um, I share with Joe that I am honored for this vote of confidence and vote of our leadership. I think we make a great team, all of us, and I especially love my chief co-conspirator, Joe. Uh, you'll never meet a group of people that would love the city collectively more than we do. We're all very, very committed, and you know we're all volunteers, right? And we, we try to go to everything and support everyone, and we want all of you to feel heard and respected, and I feel this commission does a really good job of that, and to the extent that you ever feel that we fall short, just know that it's really hard to satisfy 900,000 people all at the same time, and we do our best. We really, really, really do. I promise you that. Um, we have a superlative executive staff and RPD staff in Phil and his, his colleagues. Um, we all really do live and breathe this stuff, I can tell you. Phil is ever-ready battery guy over here, never stops, and his entire family sometimes gets involved with RPD stuff. I've watched his girls grow up, and it's been quite amazing. Um, I feel so lucky to have the confidence of our mayor, London Breed. Mayor, I just want to thank you for appointing all of us. Uh, this is a fabulous, fabulous body to serve, and you are definitely our park champion in chief. We love you, and I love especially to see you with the children out in the park. She, our mayor loves to talk with the kids, and that means a lot to me as a parent. So let's uh, have a great year. We have a lot of amazing things on board to look forward to, particularly the completion of India Basin Park, a fabulous gym, a role model for the nation. And we'll be doing it under um, strict financial controls. Um, it's going to be a tough couple of years in the, our budget, so I hope everybody will keep that in mind as well. We might have to say no because we just don't have the money yet. Um, but we are excellent at long-range planning, believe me. And we have our eye on things, our eyes on things maybe you're not even thinking about yet, but we are. Um, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and do the work. And I want to thank all of everybody who's here. I want to thank you for your time and being here. It means a lot to us what you have to do to get here to City Hall. So thank you. Okay. Thank you, everyone. We are now on item seven, the San Francisco Zoo Report. Uh, good morning, Tanya Peterson with the San Francisco Zoological Society. Welcome and congratulations. Uh, I, uh, it seems to me that running a commission is a little like running a zoo, so <laughs> yeah. best wishes to you both. All right. <laughs> uh, we say happy zoo year here, so I just thought I would share with you some new zoo items. And so with that, we kick off our 2024 conservation campaign beautiful photography of our critically endangered species. We'll be showcasing one a month. Uh, we started with the orangutan here, which is a story of hope. Uh, this species would have gone extinct in the wild, but because of collaboration between zoos and local sanctuaries, uh, this is a story of hope. We have two at the San Francisco Zoo. But also I wanted to point out our new tagline that's going to get covered here. Zoo animals amaze, but it's zoo conservation that saves. So you'll hear a lot of about that uh, this coming year, I hope. 
Uh, other new items for us is a new Wolverine. Uh, he comes to us at 11 months of age. His, his arrival coincides with the species going on the U.S. endangered species list. Um, I really wanted to name him after a famous actor who plays a Wolverine, but we decided to name him after our two-term board chair, Edward Poole. So there's little Edward. Welcome to the zoo. Uh, another new partnership with us, this is the first time ever in the zoo's history of formal agreement with a medical center, this case UCS, UCSF. Um, there you see Minnie, uh, one of our primates who's over 50, females over 50, tend to have certain problems. So we needed help with human uh, doctors. And there's our chief vet, Dr. Adrian Mutlow, with many under uh, anesthesiology. The anesthesiologists and the oncologists and others are all from UCSF, so we thank them. Uh, this agreement is mainly around our primate care. Now, speaking of primates, uh, we recently had a, a special visitor uh, help us with lemur conservation. I don't know if you recognize the man in the hat and the sunglasses. I guess that's what you do when you're famous. But that's legendary conductor Michael Tilson Thomas. He's in town for an upcoming symphony. Um, I know he's belovedly called MTT. He has been public with a rare disease that he's suffering from, and he, he recognized the uh, animal's power power to heal, and so one of the things he wanted to do this month was walk with our lemurs. Uh, if you know our lemur exhibit, it's actually surrounded both by lemurs and the public, and I'm pleased to report both lemurs and MTT received a standing ovation. Uh, our lemurs are focused in our new Madagascar zone. Uh, that uh, iconic baobab tree there is nearly three stories high. I'm pleased to report the top story now houses five insectariums. These emphasize the biodiversity loss of Madagascar. So if you like creepy, crawly things, I invite you to go upstairs and explore. There's also ocean views on most days there. Um, as you may recall, Madagascar is within the zoo's African conservation zone. Zone, uh, which is in the center of the zoo. But recently in the news, another zone uh, popped up, if you will, and that's our Asia zone. And that far right corner there in blue is our uh, Asia conservation zone. And this recently became in the news because of following the APEC conference. And so I just thought I would give you some history on our Asian conservation efforts. In 1985, there's a photo of then Diane Feinstein. She welcomed two orphans. Uh, they were three years of age, Yan Yan and Ying Jin. They were three years, male and female. Uh, they came the month of November. That month alone, 150,000 visitors came to visit us at the zoo. Uh, San Francisco Zoological Society donated 150,000 to the cause, and it was a 500,000 retrofit of our lion house to accommodate them. Uh, in that vein, over the years, we've continued relationships, uh, myself going to the Shanghai Zoo in 2013, and there in Chengdu, uh, 2014, my favorite photo of all with me with a panda. Uh, and so uh, I was thus pleased years later to welcome senior engineers from the Chengdu Giant Panda Breeding Center. They brought me twin panda 
cups, not cubs, but maybe we will work on it. Uh, and uh, we talk, uh, as we have for many years, our collaboration. So I just wanted to emphasize the focus of our collaboration over the years has been an MOU with the Shanghai Zoo, emphasizing bilateral co cooperation in global biodiversity conservation, as well as a concerned awareness and energized and sympathetic citizenry. Uh, there in China, there is a t uh, they do have some problems with the zoo visitors not respecting the animals. So together we have created the signage, respect the animals, emphasizing the magnificence of the animals, that the zoo is their home. We create a hotline here if you see anybody um, disrespecting an animal. And here at San Francisco Zoo, that is in three languages. Uh, we shared that in 2013 and we continue to work with our colleagues in China. Lastly, even if we don't win the race to the giant panda, I remind you all that we have red pandas still at San Francisco Zoo. And with that, I finish my report. <clears throat> Is there any public comment on item seven? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Any comments from our commissioners on this? Okay. We are now on item eight, Recreation and Park Department budget overview. As a reminder, this item is discussion only. Oh, and we're calling, I'm calling item eight and item nine together today. So there is an action item for you, but the staff will present eight and nine together. Let me, uh, let me just tip this off, for, uh, set this up for, for Antonio, our uh, uh, Chief Financial and Administrative Officer, you all know him. Uh, he uh, does an incredible job and is, uh, and we also have Tiffany Wong joining, who uh, they are the dynamic duo. Uh, and needless to say, we're all spending a lot of time together. Um, all of the comments and wishes and needs and urges that you hear every, every single commission meeting in public comment, whether it be brand new elaborate netting for pickleball courts or new surfaces for pools relates to our resources and ability to get that work done to provide for San Francisco. Uh, I've been doing this job since 2009. I think uh, the era that we are heading into is the most serious uh, uh, can, uh, most serious era with the most significant uh, financial uh, constraints and structural financial challenges that we have faced. So this is the real deal. Uh, so I'm going to, Antonio and Tiffany are going to walk you through the how we got here, the why. Um, but when I refer uh, and thank you in advance for your steady hands on the tiller, this is why. Thank you very much, Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance. And we have a presentation for you today. Go ahead and set that. All right, so this presentation is composed of four parts. We have the city's fiscal outlook and mayoral direction, the rec park budget overview and fiscal outlook, our proposed budget principles for discussion and possible action uh, for the commission, and our next steps as we develop this budget. So the first part is really talking about the city's overall fiscal outlook. And you might have read in the paper that uh, over the next four years, in fiscal year 28, the city's facing a $1.35 billion deficit. As of December, 
the number for next year was $245 million. And that number is important for us as a department. Uh, I will get back to it, uh, that in a second because for many of you that know, as part of Prop B, if the deficit goes over a certain threshold, we do not receive an additional $3 million of general fund subsidy. Um, next slide. Actually, keep it here. Sorry, Tiffany, but the, the final takeaway from this slide, really, as we talk about the city's problems, the takeaway is that expenditures are projected to go up by 18%, while overall city revenues are only projected to grow by 2 to 3% over this projection. And so why is that? What is happening with revenue? And we, we have a slide um, here that shows that key revenue sources in the city are down by 20% when compared to the pre-pandemic year of fiscal year 1819. Some of these drivers include the business tax, which is a slightly lower, sales tax, lower, hotel tax. While hotels might have rebounded, rates are lower. Uh, so that has been seen a big drop. And real property transfer tax, that purple bar, uh, the tax that occurs when property changes hands, that is incredibly variable. And right now, that is a drastic drop when you look at last year's actuals. Next slide. On the expenditure side, one of the big issues has been the cost of personnel. Um, you're looking at a member of the personnel. The, the costs have grown by $900 million when you compare from fiscal year 19 to fiscal year 24. It's nearly a billion, and we've added as a city, not as a department, but as a city, nearly 3,000 FTE full-time equivalent positions, people who work uh, 40 hours a week. So next slide. Now, this is a dashboard of some key economic drivers for the city as a whole when it comes to this budget presentation in the upper left-hand quadrant. The city is at 30% office vacancy as of Q3 of 2023. What I've heard um, anecdotally was that that is continuing to rise. In the upper right-hand quadrant, 60% of total convention attendees compared to fiscal year 19. So that's convention attendees. So that is a drastic drop in downtown activity. In the lower left-hand quadrant, local and state sales tax is now flat compared to year-over-year -year growth. And then the lower right-hand quadrant, the city has used quite a bit of one-time sources to balance its budget over the past few years during the pandemic. Three of those sources include FEMA reimbursement uh, revenue for disaster relief related to COVID. And then additionally, there are general fund reserves and fund balance left over from savings of previous years. So that is the issue currently going on overall when we look at the city and county of San Francisco. On the next slide, we talk about the mayor's priorities as we tackle this budget. And these priorities have stayed consistent. They're improving public safety and street conditions, citywide economic vitality, uh, focus on reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery, and an accountability and equity in services and spending. And then on the next slide, we can talk a little bit about what's already happened to this department. We've undergone mid-year budget cuts of $861,707. And we have been told to keep those ongoing uh, over the next two budget years. And the city as a total, I believe uh, the number was 75 million overall in the current year because the city had a current year problem. 
Um, those mid-year cuts include keeping positions vacant, a uh, small amount of ad back funding, and $175,000 of, of a work order between ourselves and a city department. We have been told not to add additional positions. We need to prioritize staffing in key areas related to public safety and essential operations. We need to only fill essential positions in the current year and plan towards using additional vacancies for budget savings. We need to focus on core departmental operations and services. And finally, the mayor's office is going to continue to convene departments to propose further citywide solutions and strategies. So we are not going at this alone. This is taking place in City Hall and really trying to put everybody together to find solutions for the overall issues that are challenging San Francisco. So we talked a lot about the city at the beginning of this presentation. Um, I do wanna talk about and move on to Rec Park in particular. And so if we are a baseline department, why do we have a problem? Because the whole point of the prop Prop B baseline in 2016 was that the department would be buffered from many of these economic challenges. So on the pro, we have more control over our operating expenditures and the ability to tackle deferred maintenance on an annual basis. That has been great for us. If there is an arson at a park, we're able to, to tackle that immediately and take care of that. But there have been a lot of negative impacts from Prop B's implementation. So the first, the $3 million of general fund allocation that we are scheduled to receive every year has not tracked the CPI. That is a flat $3 million. So in 2016 dollars, it's a lot more than in 2024 dollars. And it has also not tracked the escalating cost of city department services. We'll get to that a little bit in, um, later on in this presentation. Secondly, during a budget downturn, the department has not received its $3 million general fund increase on an ongoing instead of one-time basis. So instead of saying we're gonna take a pause and you'll get that $3 million and another $3 million next year, it's just you're getting $3 million next year and you're getting nothing. So it's just ongoing. And then finally, or I'm sorry, thirdly, the department is no longer guaranteed to keep its general fund expenditure savings, which is something that we were allowed to do in the past with the creation of the open space fund. Um, fourth, and finally, there have been dramatically large increases based on new cost allocation methodology. And these include the elimination of the municipal power rate and a new stormwater surcharge that do not adjust to this baseline. So overall, the department will be paying an increase of $9 million despite no change in utility usage. So on the next slide, we're gonna talk a little bit specifically about what our department projection looks like. So this is a bar chart uh, showing a, quite a bit of red ink. Next year, fiscal year 25, at the moment, assuming that we do get this $3 million of general fund subsidy and our earned revenues stay the same, we are relatively balanced because we have a rolling two-year budget and we, uh, we balance over two years. The out years are where we start to see a large and escalating problem. So 16.7 million in fiscal year 26, followed by, uh, in fiscal year 28, cumulative $26.8 million. And we create this projection in the same way that the city creates its own five-year financial plan uh, with some specific data related to our own internal debt service and uh, SFPUC rates. Um, next slide. 
So what is causing our, this structural deficit at Rec Park? The first thing is the open space fund, which is two and a half cents of every $100 of assessed property value in, in San Francisco, has really kept us afloat over the last decade. We've seen great uh, increases in this fund because the, the valuation of property has increased in San Francisco. So we're in the past where we're seeing anywhere from up to $6 million a year of increase coming out of the pandemic. Over the next four years in this proje projection, it's very, very minimal, very minimal. Um, 0 0.2 next year, 0 0.9, 0 0.3, 1.6. So open space fund growth is flat. And on the next slide, you'll also see that our overall general fund department revenues, this is everything excluding special revenue related to the marina and the golf fund. When you look at it, when you look at fiscal year 19, prior to the pandemic, and actuals from last year, we are basically flat again. So the open space fund, not a lot of growth. Our internal general fund department earned revenues, basically no growth. On the next slide, you'll see quite a bit of growth. These are three key city work orders that, um, that are spread amongst all our funds in general fund open space. Um, this is the Department of Technology, uh, Central Shops, and also we're combining the SFPUC work orders, which are power, uh, clean water, and wastewater. So in fiscal year 19, we had an actuals of 15.7 million between the three of those. In the um, current year budget, it is $22.9 million. So while our revenue base is relatively flat, these costs are going to continue to increase. So we've seen the next slide before. Um, this is our work order projection with the SFPUC. And for our new commissioners, this is a very, this is a very long look back and also a forward-looking document. So looking back, the department used to only pay for power and wastewater costs. Beginning in fiscal year 2008, the department began to pay for water. Um, I don't want to go into too much of the details, but the SFPUC in 2002 um, basically was able to assume control of water throughout all of San Francisco. So the department began to be charged for water costs in 2008. Those water costs in the 2010s, uh, due to the water system improvement program and the large amount of, of capital debt that the SFPUC had undertaken to um, seismically strengthen the, the, uh, the reservoirs and the system that brings water from Hetch Hetchy, caused water rates to grow on an annual percentage rate of like around eight to 9% a year, far greater than inflation. So that's why you see that water bill skyrocket. And then we have a couple other points here that uh, add up to $9 million. In fiscal year, 23, this was the first time that we saw a large incre increase related to the elimination of a subsidized municipal rate of power. So um, now, instead of being a benefit of a citywide uh, power utility that Rec Park is part of the city, Rec Park is a customer, 
and Rec Park pays the same amount for power as other customers. That is $4 million on an annual basis. And then what's $5 million is what was implemented this year, and it, there is a long implementation until fiscal year 2030 of what's known as the stormwater surcharge. This, uh, this surcharge is a new charge on our wastewater bill that basically uh, says that 20% of the cost of the wastewater system in San Francisco is related to stormwater runoff. And instead of charging uh, utility customers based on usage, we are going to charge them based on the amount of land they are. And we are 15% of the city. So that is a large cost that has been placed on this department. Let's go to the next. Uh, actually, the final takeaway, if we go back to the, the 23 utilities budget, $11 million, fiscal year 2030, $24 million. So <clears throat> it is a major driver of costs. Enough about that slide. Let's keep moving on. Um, what else has challenged this department? There's been public policy decisions um, made as a government that have basically put restrictions on the amount of earned revenue the department can receive. Some of these could be veterans' preferences um, for admissions, free parking at Union Square during the holidays or at Portsmouth Square, the flexibility to raise rates based off of demand, fee flexibility, uh, paid reservations, um, putting restrictions on the ability to do that, as well as a blanket restriction on advertising. So unlike enterprise departments, like the SFMTA, the SFPUC, or excuse me, SFMTA, the airport, um, those departments can advertise in certain areas we cannot. On to the next slide. We've also expanded our work, um, and in many cases, we have been happy to do so. And we brought to you um, new spaces, Francisco Park, Mission Bay, we're going to have a new rec center at Hearst Playground, Shoreview Park, UN Plaza just recently, India Basin, Trans Bay Block 3 is coming soon. Now, some of those spaces came with revenue allocated to operate the space. Some of those did not. We also have expanded programming, Requity, Peace Parks, Park Stop Program, Bayview Swim and Splash, the activation at UN Plaza, Activation at Garfield and Margaret Hayward Clubhouses, the McLaren Parks Rope Course, the Baby United Soccer Team, expansion of the Green Agers into the Tenderloin in Chinatown, and the Tennis Learning Center, as well as workforce development programs. Some of these, like Requity, have a sugar sweetened beverages tax attached to them to pay for the operations, but some of them we've been able to expand within our own budget. Additionally, on the next slide, we've we're, I mentioned we're 15% of the open space and the space in San Francisco. It takes a lot to secure that space and to make sure that it looks clean and um, in good shape. So at UN Plaza, Civic Center, Union Square, Twin Peaks, Portsmouth, some of the areas where we've absorbed additional security costs, what does that mean? It means new park rangers. It means the expansion of the park stop program and uh, restroom monitoring, and additionally, one thing to note, vandalism repair. If you look at calendar year 2023 costs, $4.5 million. And that, is, that includes Mansell Clubhouse arson, as well as the overall cost to abate um, various forms of graffiti. 
based on our analysis. And then additionally, last year, we've had quite a bit of storm damage, uh, $18.9 million. We're not tackling all of it because we don't have all the money. We're tackling a substantial portion through our general fund capital baseline. So the whole at Trocadero Clubhouse, we are working on that. We're expecting uh, reimbursement from FEMA. We are we have picked up the trees that fell at Stern Grove, but all of this is a cost to the department. On the next slide, we wanted to identify some consequences of not identifying ways to increase earned revenue. So bluntly, it's the fact there's gonna be less and worse park maintenance because we won't have enough money and more broken stuff because we won't be able to tackle it immediately. Um, and then additionally, dirtier restrooms and shorter hours reduce public safety if we don't have people on the ground, fewer program offerings for kids and seniors, and the, we would be unable to meet the demand for additional open spaces as people request for more parks. So on the next slide, we have um, the discussion and action of some potential budget principles for the commission to um, guide us as we go about balancing this budget. And I'm gonna read, th read them. It's basically, we're gonna make budget choices, we're proposing to make budget choices that are responsible and responsive to the ongoing structural financial imbalances facing our city and our department while honoring the mayor's stated budget priorities, public safety, citywide economic vitality, mental health, accountability, and equity. We, would, we are going to best support the city's continuing economic recovery and that most directly align with the department's strategic plan and commitment to equity. We are going to continue to uphold the essential role parks play by ensuring our spaces remain safe, clean, and accessible. We'll make budget choices that preserve programs and services that support equitable park access, recreation, and youth development for high needs families and vulnerable populations. On the next slide, we have five more. We'll make budget choices that challenge us to deliver core services effectively and efficiently as possible by relying on new partnerships, technologies, and work practices post-pandemic. We will honor voter investments in parks and facilities by minimizing cuts to dedicated funding for maintenance. We'll make budget choices that sustain our responsibility as environmental stewards and support the city's adaptation policies. Make choices that protect core services by pursuing new and bolder revenue ideas and partnerships to replace depleted general funds and earned revenues impacted by the pandemic. And we'll make budget choices that continue to support and cultivate a diverse, connected, and engaged workforce that delivers outstanding service. Hey, Antonio, do me a favor, pull the mic just a little closer to you. Oh, sorry. Um, this is what happens when you move around during a presentation. I apologize. But the final one was continue to support and cultivate a diverse, connected, and engaged workforce that delivers outstanding services. So on the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit about next steps and outreach. So uh, we have an all-staff meeting next week on Wednesday. We have uh, committees uh, on uh, early February. We will be bringing this presentation to Prozac. Uh, February 15th, the full commission will consider the budget. February 21st, budget submissions are due to the mayor's office and controller's office. In March, specifically March 31st, we will have an updated budget deficit number and we'll know if we're gonna receive our $3 million of general fund support. Um, and then June 1st, the mayor is gonna submit a proposed budget to the board of supervisors and the budget and appropriations committee will consider our budget. Um, on the next slide, that is it for our presentation. Happy to take any questions. The um, budget principles are an action item. We've done this in the past. 
um, you know, and they are a product of prior budget conversations, community input, uh, staff discussion, um, and they will help us sort of align um, some very tough decisions that we're going to need to make. But but our our the action item is to say to you we want to we're going to try to make them in a manner that's consistent with these nine principles. Okay, so first, um, President Anderson, would you like to take comment on both of these items together? Yes, Okay. Please. So we'll do public comment on item eight and nine. I don't have any cards. Is there anyone in the audience who'd like to comment on eight and nine? Okay, seeing none, do we have any hands raised on the WebEx for this item? I think we may have, yeah, we have one. So let's unmute that caller, please. You'll have two minutes. My apologies, but okay. Okay, um, I think that person meant to comment on something else. So seeing no further comment, public comment is closed. Commissioners? Commissioner Mazzola. <clears throat> Thank you. Just a good report. Thank you. Um, just a few questions. So we cut six positions. Were they? Were they? F they're not obviously Take filled it. positions, but yeah. they're budgeted positions that weren't correct. Having a person in them. Okay. Just yeah. to clarify that. Yeah. Um, <coughs> second question would be, how much? I know DPW does a lot of job order contracting. Do we do a lot of contracting out and? I mean, if so, because to me, it's cheaper to hire full-time employees than contract out. So that was just a question I had um, for you guys, if we do a lot of job order contracting or not. I'll, gr I'll grab that one, Antonio. Um, we, we do some. Um, so we, have, we do two types of um, sort of deferred maintenance uh, and construction work. Um, all of you are well familiar with the work we do to build and renovate parks, right? The, the, um, uh, that would be an example of uh, using outside uh, general contractors and subs to do the work, right? Um, they are often, although as you will tell us, uh, Commissioner Mazzola, often not always uh, unionized, and within that there are, some, there are sometimes jurisdictional battles over what workers are doing, what type of work. We, we understand all that and we'll continue to work with you. We have, as part of our um, deferred maintenance and our life cycle work, we do have a deferred maintenance job order, job order contractors on call for certain types of work. But the vast majority of our deferred maintenance Every, that our every single day deferred maintenance stuff happens uh, through our structural maintenance yard. They're very good, um, and they probably, this is a total ballpark, but you know, it's 90% of it. There's some specialty work, so if we resurface a basketball court, we would use a, we would use, uh, a firm that's on the, what you're referring to as the jock list. These are pre a list of pre-approved contractors. And by the way, it makes those projects a little bit more affordable because we don't have some of the overhead and paperwork with putting each and every single different project out to bid. That's the advantage of the, the jock contracts. They are smaller. They're big enough that we need to use an outside contractor. 
but small enough that we could manage that way. And in fact, as you, I think you know, in I believe it's in the administrative code, there are some limits on the size of the project we can use that methodology for. Thank you. Appreciate the answer. Thank you, Antonio and Tiffany. I have a couple questions. Um, if we could get the slide up that says PUC work order projection. Um, for myself and probably other people in the room here, I was wondering if you could educate me a little bit more on what it meant to have the elimination of the municipal power rate. Obviously, something's being eliminated. Was it a benefit the way it was before? It, maybe you could comment as you're telling me about what the municipal power rate was. And then the other one, could you explain why we have a new stormwater surcharge and what the PUC had to do to be able to implement this? First with the, the municipal power rate. So the city as a whole uses power derived from Hetch Hetchy. That's uh, delivered, it's through PG&E power lines, comes to San Francisco, um, and there was a tiered rate structure where enterprise departments, like the airport, paid one rate, and general fund departments, like Rec Park, paid a much cheaper rate, based on the assumption that this is power uh, provided to taxpayer um, for public policy and the fact that it's all one city government, uh, and the city gets to benefit from the from the Public Utility Commission. The, I think, and this is where I would talk outside of my expertise, uh, Prop 218 is very often um, <clears throat> mentioned to us by the, our colleagues at the SFPUC that we, that customers cannot, there cannot be discrimination amongst customers. So in reality, Rec Park is a customer of the SFPUC, and the SFPUC is a utility. And if that's the case, then we need to be charged the full cost of power, just like everybody else. Um, our baseline wasn't built that way. Our baseline was built assuming that we were getting this far lower rate, that it was all one city government. So that slow ramp up in cost, and it's done as a, you know, a small cent of kilowatt hour, which sounds small when you look at it in, in a, you know, in a granular fashion, but over time, it's really $4 million. Um, so that, that is the benefit to this department that is going away. The stormwater surcharge, this, uh, according to the SFPC, uh, they told us they've been thinking about this for quite some time. Um, San Francisco has a combined water and sewer system. Um, and the the sewer rates traditionally, the wastewater rates were traditionally based off of water usage. So if you have an apartment building and there's 50 people in the apartment building um, and you have a homeowner and let's say they all have, the homeowner has, um, you know, use the same amount of water as somebody in an apartment building. Probably unlikely because they have, probably have a lawn, but let's just say they do. In that case, they would have the same sewer bill. But what the SFPUC is saying is that homeowner, and in the case of the Parks Department, that landowner of all that property in San Francisco 
you're also responsible for storm runoff. And so they have said that storm runoff is about 20% of the cost of uh, the sewer system. And so they're gonna reallocate that cost based on property and they're gonna charge two separate rates, one based on if your property uh, was permeable and one if it was impermeable. Because impermeable, if it's concrete, there's gonna be more water that goes into the storm system. If you have lawn, we have a lot of lawn, but we also have a lot of tennis courts, basketball courts, gyms, pickleball courts. That has a different cost too because the water goes into the sewer system. So that is a giant cost for us. And originally, they were talking about implementing it fairly shortly. Um, last year, we worked on this uh, that's going to be a seven-year phase-in. By the end of that seven years, that's an additional $5 million. It's a dramatic increase for the department. We have been undergoing negotiations with the SFPUC uh, at, to have them um, to work on getting them to reimburse us for other types of costs that we might have um, at uh, property that they own. So places like Lake Merced and, uh, and Camp Mather. So those discussions are ongoing. Um, I, I do think we're working the best we can to mitigate those costs and finding ways for the SFPUC to be a good partner. It is gonna be a major challenge for us. Major, major challenge. Do you know if, and Phil might comment on this, <laughs> Do you know if Prop 2018 was designed to erase the municipal power rate? Was that the point? I don't remember what Prop 2018 was. We, we don't. Um, I, okay. I, you know, as much as I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd love for a, a desired answer, um, you know, this is more uh, of a question of, of interpretation. Um, by a mix of, of lawyers and water policy experts, which we're not. I understand. That's why I said, do you know? <laughs> um, okay, thank you. Are there any other questions from any other commissioners? Go ahead, Commissioner Louie. Is there, is there a possibility or, or the idea of, since our parks occupy, like you said, 15% of our city, and we have several um, elected leaders in at the state level and the federal level. Is there a way that we can include them in these conversations? Because you know now we're being you know acclaimed for these beautiful you know spaces that everyone's enjoying. So I'm we understand the finances on the local level, but have we considered or is there a possibility? We are certainly no experts here. But we know that we've seen other relief coming from the state and federal level. Just putting Commis that out. Just putting that out there, Commissioner. I'll try to try to answer that. We we do to the extent that we can. Um, Antonio mentioned the uh, Trocadero. Um, we work with our state and federal leaders for emergency relief to the extent that we can. Um, we tend to get more support from our uh, uh, state and federal electeds, all of whom do love our park system and understand its value. Um, but we tend to get more support from the state and federal government uh, on capital projects, um, uh, things like 
uh, you know, Prop 68 and, and uh, um, uh, with ORLP, which is uh, uh, a federal program that provides grant funding for specific capital construction projects. You know, the state, our state and federal, the EPA, we got a grant for it, India Basin. Our state and federal partners are actually uh, critical funding partners for most of our, our larger capital work for which we, uh, you know, we don't always have all the resources we need to do the project that we feel like the community expects and that we need to do. Um, on the operations side, it's a slightly different story. Um, as you know and read in the last couple of weeks, the state of California is grappling with its own $38 billion deficit. Um, I don't need to remind you of our federal government's budget deficit. So, uh, you know, we're not going to get much operating support, with some exception. Uh, we're in the middle of a, and you'll hear more about this next month, a very interesting workforce development partnership that could help us continue our workforce development programs relying more heavily on state and federal support that goes to the Human Services Agency. That's an example. So, you know, this is a very creative entrepreneurial team. Uh, we are going to uncover every rock um, uh, looking for resources, but this is a word of warning for this commission and for the public that we are facing some, some tough decisions and we would much rather earn it than cut it. So I think we're all going to have to um, reimagine uh, and be a little bit more entrepreneurial. Uh, and even if there's some discomfort and some, you know, some pain with some of the things that we're going to propose, um, we that earned revenue number, which is flat since the pandemic, we're not getting any relief in the foreseeable future from the Open Space Fund. Uh, we lost $30 million in revenue during the pandemic. Um, if we expect the same, same level of service, that's the lever that we kind of need to do better at. You know, and um, that means thinking through more creative strategies to generate revenue in our parks in a way that does not you know, either uh, violate some of our, our core values. And one of them being that everyone, regardless of ability to pay, should have access to our parks and programs. But there are things that we've been doing free for a long time that we may not be able to do as free. Any other questions? Seeing none, thank you. All right, commissioners, so now you can um, choose to vote on item nine. Did I hear a motion and a second to approve the park department's budget principles as outlined in the previous we'll presentation? Second. All those in favor, state aye. 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 Any opposition? Thank you. Passes unanimously. Okay, we are now on item 10, Lake Merced Trail Improvements Contract Award. I would just like to say that we are going to take a brief bio break at noon. Oh, go ahead. All right. Hello. Hello. Good morning, commissioners, general manager. My name is Omar Davis, project manager with the Capital Division. The item before you is discussion and possible action to award a construction contract 
for the Lake Merced Trail Improvements Project to treaty construction in the amount of up to $2,023,800 for base bid work with no alternates. Uh, this project is in line with the department's strategic plan of uh, strategy one, inspire public space, strategy two, inspire play, and strategy three, inspire investment. Lake Merced is located in Supervisorial District 7 in the southwest corner of the city. A nearly five-mile multi-use trail encircles the lake. It is multi-use, allowing both pedestrians and cyclists. This project scope focuses on rehabilitating the trail, amenities, and landscape adjacent to the trail. This project is a part of the 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks Bond Citywide Parks <laughs> Program. Um, as a reminder, the Rec Park Commission approved the concept plan in June of 2019. Site, since then, site preparation with tree maintenance and removals was completed in 2020. The first phase of park improvements began construction last year in the southern portion of Lake Merced, where we are delivering an outdoor fitness court, drinking fountain, two picnic tables, and ADA parking spaces. This work uh, in the southern a portion of Lake Merced is under a separate contract and will wrap up in the coming months. The item presented before you today is the last phase of work of the Lake Merced Trail Improvements Project, which is in the northwest corner of the lake between Sunset Circle parking lot and the intersection of Skyline Boulevard and Harding Road. Uh, this scope includes the replacement of, um, of much of the multi-use perimeter pathway encircling Lake Merced the installation of new site furnishings, uh, fitness equipment, um, the asphalt pathway will be reconstructed and made ADA accessible, and the natural surface pathway will be repaved with a soil stabilized product to create a soft impact running walking surface. Um, and then at the Sunset Circle parking lot, six parking spaces will be replaced with new ADA spaces. New parkour fitness equipment will be installed on concrete pads uh, in existing equipment locations along the trail edge. Um, finally, new signage will be installed to communicate park rules and assist with wayfinding. With the assistance of Public Works, the Recreation and Park Department advertised the bid for the project on October 12, 2023, with a published engineer's estimate of uh, $1,562,561. Bids were opened on December 6, 2023. We received a total of five bids. A tabulation of bids was attached to the staff report for your reference. Two bids were removed by CMD on December 19, 2023 for failing to meet subcontracting goals. The lowest qualified bid was from Treaty Construction in the amount of $2,023,800 for base bid work and no alternates. Contractor responsiveness, which includes compliance with the Contract Monitoring Division, or CMD, requirements, has been confirmed. This contract award was also presented to the Capital Committee for discussion only in December uh, last month, um, but the project is here before you now as an action item. Funding sources include the California Natural Resources Agency grant, 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhoods Park Bond, which is both citywide parks and forestry, as well as the Prop 68 uh, State Parks Act Recreational Infrastructure Revenue Enhancement Grant. Upon approval by the commission and contract certifications, 
Construction activities will commence later this spring with a uh, construction duration of approximately five and a half months and opening targeted for fall 2024. In summary, staff recommends that this commission approve the action to award a construction contract for the Lake Merced Trail Improvements Project to treaty construction in the amount of up to $2,023,800 for base bid work and no alternates. Thank you, commissioners, for your consideration. I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, Thank we'll you. do public comment on item 10. Is there anyone in room 416 who'd like to comment on item 10? Okay, seeing none, and do we have any hands raised on our WebEx? No hands raised. So, commissioners, it's in your court. <laughs> I see no questions. All right, well, we'll need a motion and a second to approve the item. I have here a motion. Do I have a second? Get a motion, right? Motion, second. second. All right. All in favor, state aye. 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 Any opposition? None. Passes unanimous. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you very much. Excited about this beautiful project. Can't wait to see it completed. Absolutely. All right. We are now on item 11, 30 Otis Street, Shadow, on 11th and Natoma Future Park. Okay, I'm gonna get, I guess that's the bell to get started. Um, Come out the gate now. Thank you, Commission Liaison, and good mor uh, morning, <laughs> Commissioners. We still have a morning. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Brian Stokel. I'm a planner with the Capital and Planning Division, and I'm joined today by the Planning Department staff, uh, who will present a portion of the presentation pertaining to the project description, public outreach, and public benefit of the project of this item, whereas I will be focusing on the shadow analysis upon the affected park. Our presentation will provide you with a summary of the proposed installation of a rooftop wireless facility on 30 Otis Street and its shadow effects upon the planned 11th and Natoma Park under the jurisdiction of the Recreation and Parks Department. As a reminder, your review of the item of the shadow on Rec Park land is codified by Planning Code Section 295 and the 1989 memo jointly adopted by the Planning Commission and the Rec and Park Commission. The proposed 30 Otis Street rooftop wireless facilities project would place several new wireless panel antennas and a screened enclosure around other, roof, other equipment on the penthouse of the building. 
Note that the building itself was constructed in 2021 and its shade on the planned 11th and Natoma Park was reviewed in 2018 when this commission found the building's net new shade was not significantly adverse. The planning commission subsequently approved the project. You can actually see the building today just five blocks south of City Hall. Today, the commission is being asked to review the new shadow from, that would be cast upon the park from the addition of the proposed new rooftop wireless facilities and only. You can see uh, in the blow up on the image you see there, you can see uh, a little cylindrical thing on the right side of the blow up. That's the added element. And you may be able to see uh, one on the left as well. Um, now I'm gonna pass it over to Lizzie Mao from the planning department who will provide a brief overview of the project, community outreach and public good aspects of the project. Lizzie. Good morning, commissioners. Elizabeth Mao, planning department staff. The proposed project is the installation of a new dish wireless macro wireless telecommunications services facility consisting of three new antennas screened within two radom covers that have a maximum height of 42 inches and ancillary equipment screened with an eight foot tall enclosure. The proposed wireless telecommunications facility will be located on the rooftop of the existing 26 story mixed use building at the northwest corner of Otis and 12th Street the existing building contains 2,200 square feet of retail space, 16,000 square feet of arts activities in a theater for the city ballet school and 416 dwelling units and was completed in 2021. The proposed wireless telecommunications facility is needed to provide dish wireless service coverage for the area bound by Market Street to the north, Howard to the east, US 101 highway to the south and Oak Street to the west. The proposed facility is necessary to fill the coverage gap in the area for customers to receive reliable wireless service. Improved telecommunications services coverage will enhance emergency planning and communication preparedness in the city. The need for coverage and capacity has been verified by a third party consultant. The project sponsor conducted a community meeting regarding the proposed wireless facility on March 15th, 2023 from 6 to 7 p.m. The meeting was noticed to all building owners and tenants within 500 feet of the proposed installation and neighborhood organizations within 1,000 feet. No community members attended this meeting and I will pass it back to Brian. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, as you can see in this picture in the red circle on the upper left, that is the area where the added facilities will be. The, to, um, uh, I believe, radon towers on each side and then the screening in the center. You can also see on the image on the right that it's only at the very center of the building where these new facilities will be added in this central red square. Uh, this slide provides a programmatic detail of the 11th and Natoma Park uh, concept design seen here, which was approved by this commission last December. The 0.48 acre park is surrounded by a mix of commercial, industrial, and residential buildings. And the property is currently a commercial building owned by the Rec and Park Department and will be demolished and rebuilt into a, a park 
approximately starting in 2025. The planned park will include a half-court basketball court, children's play area, adult exercise equipment, and a community plaza with central garden space with seating. Here you can see renderings of the space. Uh, to go over the quantitative elements, there's currently a 23.26% existing shadow load on the site, meaning the 23.26% of total annual light is shaded. The project would add a fractional amount, 0.003% shade, for a total of 23.265% shadow load. Qualitatively, in terms of the time of year and the time of day, the product shadow would occur in spring and fall and only in the late afternoons after 4.30 p.m. Maximum shadow would be on September 27th and March 15th at 5.30 p.m. just before sunset. The average daily duration of shadows is present would be about 15 minutes covering an average of 225 square feet of the park, which is 1.15% of the park area. With regard to the location of the new shade, it would cover portions of the children's play area, seating, bat and basketball court. Here we have a rendering showing the shadow where it would fall during the eight weeks that new shade would happen. On the left, it shows shading of the a portion of the basketball court on September 20th and March 22nd, as well as the children's play area on the right on September 27th and March 15th, all after five o'clock in these images. In closing, I'd like to highlight that the 1989 memo provides quantitative and qualitative criteria for determining whether a project shadow upon a Reckon Park property would have significant adverse impact on the use of the park. Quantitatively, the memo states that parks smaller than 2% in size with more than 20% existing shadow, as is the case for 11th and Natoma, they re recommend no new shadow. In the case of 11th and Natoma, the park is 0.48 acres in size, experiences 23% of existing shadow and the project would add fractionally new shade, 0.003% for a total of 23.265. Qualitatively, the criteria to also consider include the time of day of new shadow, time of year, shadow size, shadow duration, location, and public good as previously described. Thank you. This ends my presentation. Um, both planning staff and myself are available for comments and questions. Thank you, Brian. Okay, we'll move to public comment on item 11. Is there anyone in room 416 who'd like to comment on this item? Seeing none, um, and we have none on the WebEx, so public comment is closed. Thank you, Ashley. Do any of my colleagues have any questions or comments? I have Joe first. Yeah, uh, just Brian, I'm curious. We've had many um, shadow issues come before us, at least in my three and a half years on the commission, and it's always an existing playground with a new structure to come. Is this the first time that this has happened in reverse in, in your career where we're 
we already have an existing structure with a park yet to come. In my personal experience, and I've been with the department almost nine years, uh, I did present in 2018 the same project for the building itself. At that time, there was no design, so that's somewhat of a precedent. Right. And, but this is the first time, to my knowledge, where a review has happened before the park actually physically exists. I see very little impact here, 0.003%. I was just curious in your experience if it had happened in this order rather than one that we're used to. Thank not, you. not in my experience and I've, in my colleagues during my time, okay. to my knowledge. Thanks, Brian. Raises the question of the applicability of the regulation since the park doesn't exist. But I agree with my colleague. I find 0.003% de minimis, and therefore I support this project. Are we ready for a vote? Yeah. All right. All those in favor, state aye. We need a motion. Oh, sorry. We need a, 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 and and sorry. can you be clear? I'll make um, a motion. Sorry, I'm getting motion. a little tired. That sorry, this, sorry. That this does, shadow does not have a significant adverse impact. Thank you. You're welcome. And do I have a second? Second. A second. All right. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposition? None. It's unanimously passed. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Brian. Thanks, Brian. Um, President Anderson, we have... Um, it's 11.54. I don't know if you want to do the bio break now or if you want to hear the next item first. Let's take a three-minute bio break, everybody. Okay, I'll set a timer. Um, three minutes. Hurry up. <laughs> SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
All right, we are ready to go to item 12, the fiscal year 22-23 park evaluations report. Benjamin Juan. Good morning, Commissioner. Oh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, 12.01, I think. Or oh, 11.59, almost there. Um, anyway, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm with the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department, and I'm joined today with my colleague, Craig. Hello. Uh, who is from the Controller's Office City Performance Unit, and we're here to present the uh, Fiscal Year 23 Park Maintenance Standards Annual Report. And uh, just a little background on uh, this program. Uh, it was voter approved back in 2003, Prop C, which basically states that us as a department needs to maintain our parks and then report on how we maintain our parks. So that's why we're here today. Um, and, uh, sorry. And all of the content that uh, we're showing off today is available online. Um, we do it, our contact information is up here, so if any of you have trouble accessing it, feel free to contact us anytime. And before I uh, hand it off to my colleague here, uh, Craig, who would show off all the juicy details about all the feature scores and whatnot, uh, I would just briefly go over the agenda. Um, so we will be talking about the citywide scores. We're going to look at specific geographic um, scores and uh, specific feature scores. Uh, we're also going to talk about a couple of new uh, content um, spotlights that we've included um, in this year's report. And we're also going to look ahead to see uh, what's next in the uh, upcoming year. So uh, I'll hand it off to Craig. Thank you, Ben. She's brought her Fiscal year 2022-23 results, uh, which I'll refer to as fiscal year 23, is the 16th annual assessment of the city um, park maintenance performance. Uh, this presentation focuses on the latest findings. However, historical data is publicly available, and if you have any specific query requests, we would be happy to oblige. These findings were independently produced and analyzed by the controller's office with subject matter consultation by the Recreation and Parks Department. There are nearly 300 maintenance standards used to measure park performance in terms of maintenance. These standards are highly specific, objective, and measurable to ensure minimal risk of scoring bias between one evaluator and the next. You can see three such examples of park standards on the screen. RPD and CON staff jointly conduct quarterly park evaluations where they will physically travel to the park and inspect it using these maintenance standards. The results that you will see momentarily come from 732 separate evaluations from the past fiscal year, which ranges from July 2022 to June 2023. This chart shows the citywide park maintenance score over time. The citywide score is calculated as a simple average of each park's individual annual maintenance score. This metric speaks to the overall maintenance of the park system, and the score is used in RPD's strategic plan, the mayor's budget book, and the controller's office own annual performance report. 
On this chart, the solid blue line shows the citywide score going back to 2015. The dashed yellow line shows the department's official performance goal. The dotted gray line represents a separate metric I will speak to on the next slide. In fiscal year 23, the citywide score was 91%, marking the fourth consecutive year that Reckon Park has met its official performance target. Note that data is unavailable for fiscal year 2021 when the program was suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This chart shows the number of parks that meet the minimum scoring goal of 85%, the dotted line I referred to in the previous slide. This is a metric that supplements the more official citywide performance goal. RPD separately counts the numbers of parks that score at or above 85%, which indicates that a park is generally well-maintained. This is used as a benchmark or minimum goal. In fiscal year 23, 88% of parks met this minimum goal, slightly down from the prior fiscal year when 90% of parks scored at least 85%. This map and accompanying table shows average maintenance scores for supervisor districts. District scores are calculated as a simple average of their underlying park scores. In the event that a park's boundary is split across multiple supervisor districts, that park's score is counted multiple times in each district's average. 10 out of 11 supervisor district scores were very similar, defined as in the range of two percentage points above or below the citywide average of 91%. District 6 is an outlier, scoring nine percentage points below the citywide average. District 6 has five parks, the lowest number of any district, by comparison, the average district has 15 parks. One possible explanation for the low score that we see is that District 6 low number of parks um, makes it prone to dramatic fluctuations based on a small sample size. Regardless, the situation should be monitored in the upcoming fiscal year. This map and accompanying table shows average maintenance scores for RPD's park service areas. A park service area is a way that RPD organizes its maintenance operations. It breaks it down into seven regions, six PSAs and Golden Gate Park, and each PSA has their own manager and set of staff to perform maintenance activities. Each of the seven PSAs scored similarly again defined as two percentage points within the citywide average of 91%. This chart shows the average park maintenance scores broken out into those that reside in equity zones and outside of equity zones. An equity zone is defined as a census tract that is burdened by certain environmental uh, health or um, uh, discriminate, historic discriminatory factors such as historic pollution. 
The data comes from the state of California and the Census Bureau. And what you see on the screen shows that parks residing in equity zone census tracts continue to lag their peers by about two percentage points, uh, including this year. However, that is not a rule. In fiscal year um, 2020, for the first time, equity zone parks scored higher than their peers. This chart shows the average maintenance score broken out by specific feature. This is another way to look at this data rather than seeing how an individual park is doing as a whole, how are our athletic fields doing? How are the city's lawns doing, the trees, the, um, the, the outdoor courts, et cetera? And we can see an interesting trend where features that are defined as passive recreation, meaning they aren't directly used, you know, things like an ornamental bed, a tree, those tend to score higher in terms of maintenance than features that are considered active recreations, things like children's play areas, restrooms, outdoor courts, etc. At this time, I'll pass the mic on to my colleague Ben, who will note some new content in this year's analysis. Thank you, Craig. Um, so as mentioned, this is the 16th edition of uh, the Parks Annual Report. Um, so each year we like to kind of, you know, shake things up a little bit. Uh, this year we decided to uh, look at how exactly new parks come into our portfolio and then how it gets into the park evaluation program and then eventually also how it scores. Um, for example, uh, something that's always interesting to me is when a park is built from the ground up, such as Francisco, how does that do in the uh, park evaluation program? And I'm happy to uh, say that Francisco Park scored 98%, which was kind of in line with uh, what we all thought um, was going to happen. Um, this year, we also decided to add a uh, sort of third, third party park score, if you would call it, uh, into the report just to see how our um, score lines up with you know, other metrics. Uh, we do want to stress that our park maintenance score is based on maintenance, hmm. while uh, this um, third party metric uh, that we're adding in uh, may not be entirely based on uh, maintenance. So we decided to take a look at the Trust for Public Land Park Score which rated us as the seventh rank uh, park system in the nation and let it show on record that I do not agree with this. I think we're the first ranked um, <laughs> professionally and humbly. Uh, but we decided just to have this as part of the uh, report just to see how um, our program lines with um, other scores. And lastly, uh, we decided to um, provide something for all of those data nerds out there like myself. Uh, an explainer document, which basically says how exactly did we come up with the scores, right? Francisco Park scored 98%. What does that mean? Um, so we have a supplementary explainer document, which basically goes into the weeds, how exactly we came up with the score, the exact formula, the exact methodology um, for those who want to have some light reading at nighttime. And then uh, also looking ahead. Uh, what's going to uh, be in the upcoming reports that uh, we release. So 
Uh, new visual visualizations, uh, we've built such an amazing program uh, with the Park Evaluation Program. We collected so much data points, uh, so many data points. Uh, we can slice it however we want. So we've kind of been looking at it at a much higher overview. Um, it may be interesting in years you know, ahead, uh, we may want to look at, um, at like a much lower level of detail. Um, for example, uh, we may want to look at maintenance by specific amenity, such as pickleball. Uh, as we all seen today, um, it has had a, a meteoric rise um, in terms of popularity, so it might be interesting to see how exactly the, uh, the pickleballs themselves do, because right now they're lumped into this uh, one single feature that we call outdoor courts, so it might be nice to extract that data out. Or not. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Uh, uh, another uh, thing to look ahead that we may potentially do is uh, issue supplementary publications. Uh, we only release the annual report once a year, so it might be interesting to see um, if we want to you know, take a look at how things are going quarterly instead of just the one time a year. And um, again, as I mentioned, uh, we've, we've built this program with the help of uh, consultants, um, but we run it all in-house. Uh, we we you know, take care of bugs a lot of times in-house. Uh, we've been running this uh, on a new platform for the past two years. So we have an amazing app called Survey123 built on the Esri platform. Uh, Esri is the leading GIS uh, spatial systems platform in the world. Uh, and so we built the Survey123 app on this platform and all of us do our evaluations, Phil does his. Um, so we, we would love to uh, continue to improve the program, um, to continue to improve the accuracy and integrity of the data that we collect. And uh, that concludes our presentation. Okay, we'll move to public comment on item 12. Is there anyone in the room who'd like to comment on the park evaluations report? I believe we have one hand raised on our WebEx, so why don't we unmute the first caller? It's not going to be. <laughs> caller, are you there? Okay, why don't we mute that caller and they can raise their hand again if they need to later. So, seeing no further comment, public comment is closed. Commissioners? This is all discussion right. only, but... Manager Ginsburg, don't scare the staff, please. Uh, not, not at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, we have Supervisor Melgar here for the next item, so we should, we should be brief. I actually just wanted to thank Ben and the Controller's Office. Uh, this is a program which requires a heck of a lot of work and management uh, to, to cultivate all the data. And uh, uh, the data is only as good as what we put into it, right? So if we don't do these park inspections uh, several times a year... Uh, then you get, um, you know, you can get some anomalies visiting parks only a couple times a year, right? You get what you get on a given day. Um, but it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, sports analytics for parks. So if you're a, if you're a you know, wonky stat geek, uh, this is for you. So Ben, thank you. Lydia Zavarucha, uh, who I think started this program and has been working on it for many, many years. Thank you. Um, this is a, this, uh, and since we have the supervisor here, I'll show off a little bit. This is a national best practice. Uh, no other city in the country does this, uh, period. So thank you. 
Good. I was hoping that you would show off to our lovely supervisor, Myrna Melgar. Thank you for joining us. We'll get to you real soon. Uh, Brianna. All right. Well, thank you again for this. I, um, I love Power BI dashboards. So looking forward to seeing how you can dig into it some more um, and share that and manipulate. I even wonder how we can ask the public, right, are there certain things that they want to see? I know a lot of people stack rank different parks for, for reasons, right, of, you know, and you can also overlay when are peak times, et cetera. Um, and I'm curious, as you think about supplemental are you also thinking we have the, the park side as a, as a national best practice? How are we scoring and, and looking at data for our recreation and program side as well? Uh, I, I can answer the first part. Uh, we do have an interactive dashboard available online on the controls uh, office website where you can look up your favorite park, uh, look up your favorite amenity. Um, a lot of data is on there. And uh, yeah, that's, that's available on the controls office website. On the recreation side, it's a great, great question, Commissioner. We're we're a little behind. It's it's more output focused, meaning, num we look at we look at registrations, we look at people in our programs, we look at the percent that our programs are actually uh, at full capacity. There's a certain percentage which you know we want to make sure, if if we have a program and we're staffing a program and it's only at thirty percent capacity, that's telling us something, right? Uh, and then we also use, um, we rely heavily on user evaluations, but it is not quite as sophisticated as this program is. Yeah, we could put that data, right, and overlay it so a supervisor can look at their district, how many programs are in that district, how are they performing, what, you know, where do the resources need right. to go, et cetera. Definitely worth a conversation. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Vanita. Well, um, thanks, Ben and Craig. That was, uh, we all paid attention, so we know how much work, you know, we don't know how much work, but we know you put a lot of work into this. And it's uh, very comforting to know that the commission, our commission has our own geek commissioner on board. So that's, <laughs> you know, all eyes on you. Um, another thing is, since we continue, the department and the parks continue to rank nationally, I just want to say, I think we should get a little discount on water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to commend you on this. I actually went to a park and shadowed somebody, uh, one of our employees, and saw how it worked. And it's, oh. it's a wonderfully comprehensive um, thing. I did notice, though, like, like we, were at a, we were at a park that also had a community garden in it, mm -hmm. and there wasn't really a way to comment on sort of the state of the community garden within the park. Yeah, uh, we do not uh, evaluate community gardens as part of this program okay. uh, because uh, there's a lot of rules um, when it comes to this. Like, for example, we don't evaluate paid facilities. It's kind of we evaluate things that are open to everybody. Okay, understood. All right, Annie. Sorry, my mic is off. Um, just kind of piggybacking on Commissioner Zwartz. Um, are gymnasiums included under the buildings and general amenities? No, we also do not evaluate indoor facilities unless they're restrooms. So we only evaluate anything indoors that are, um, yeah, basically restrooms. Uh, we look at mainly outdoor maintenance. Um, so, yeah, no, no gymnasiums. Yeah. Is there a reason maybe why we don't do if, if they're considered public spaces, right? 
Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I think when the pro program was established, it was uh, looking mainly at outdoor maintenance in terms of like what our gardeners are doing on their day-to-day -day beat routes. Um, and yeah, they don't touch the indoor facilities, so we never um, looked at evaluating those. Okay. General manager, that might be something to have a conversation about as well. Sure. <laughs> And no other questions, then thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. <clears throat> Next item. All right, we are now on item 13, Golden Gate Park, Stowe Lake renaming with Lamont. <clears throat> Welcome. Good afternoon, <clears throat> President Anderson, commissioners, and General Manager, General Manager Ginsburg. <laughs> My name is Lamont Bishop, and I'm a senior manager in our policy and public affairs unit at Reckon Park. And I'm here today with an item before you, which is to remove the name of Stowe from the lake at John F. Kennedy Drive and Martin Luther King Drive, Junior Drive, the boathouse located in Golden Gate Park surrounding Strawberry Hill, and the drive circling uh, Strawberry Hill, and to name the lake, boathouse, and drive to a name that reflects San Francisco's expressed values of celebrating diversity. And this item, it's our strategic plan by meeting strategy one to inspire place and strategy two to inspire play. But before I get into my presentation, we are lucky to have uh, Supervisor Melgar here who is the author of the resolution urging the commission to take up this rena renaming. And I'd like to invite her to the podium, please. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, thank you for having me. I was actually really happy to sit through the previous presentation and learn that uh, District 7 has the best parks. Yes. <laughs> so you are all welcome to thank come you. and hang out with us anytime. So uh, good afternoon, um, President Anderson, yes. and welcome, new commissioners, Weintraub and Zwart. I'm so happy that you have joined this excellent commission and look forward to the work we're going to do together. Um, so I introduced this uh, resolution. Uh, Stowe Lake <coughs> is in my district, um, and we've all hung out there quite a bit uh, for our lifetimes. Um, as you probably know by now, Stowe Lake was named after William Stowe, who was a Reg Park commissioner um, last century. Uh, Mr. Stowe was also a state assemblyman, um, and he was, in fact, speaker of the assembly. He was a member of the Know Nothing Party, um, which was a party that was founded uh, to uh, hate on immigrants, on people of color, and on Jews. He was particularly uh, virulent in his anti-Semitism. He, um, at the, you know, as a speaker of the assembly on the floor of our state, um, announced that he wanted to introduce a bill to tax the Jews of all their income so that they would leave California. And he said a bunch of other things that would just not pass uh, modern discourse today. So over the last uh, few weeks in our city, we have seen a lot of conflict and discourse um, over things that are happening across the world. Um, and you know, I think this is a good moment uh, to take a stand as San Franciscans that we live the values of St. Francis of Assisi, who is our city's uh, you know, namesake. Um, 
that we stand for peace um, and that we stand for tolerance and justice and that our values reflect that um, in the naming of the things that we uh, hold uh, in our trust, in our public trust. And Stowe Lake is one of them. So um, Mr. Oh, Lamont is gonna, is gonna give the historical facts. I will just tell you a little bit about what we've done um, in our office to get the conversation started with the folks in our community. We, as required by you, um, have had the three community meetings, but since my background is in youth development, I uh, went out of my way to talk to kids in our district. So I went to a bunch of uh, public and private schools uh, to talk to the kids about Stowe Lake, because the, the kids are like big users of the lake and the boats. Um, and they were very engaged in this conversation. Uh, they all said, yes, we want to live in a city that evidences values of love, tolerance, equality, um, and we love the lake. We want it to, uh, to be something that we can all be proud of. Um, so I want to give a particular thanks to uh, Mr. Stephen Miller, who is a constituent who is an amateur historian who uh, brought this to our attention and did a lot of the research uh, that is before you today about Mr. Stowe. Um, we ended up, after doing all of the community outreach, uh, we ended up working with the San Francisco Standard to do a poll, which was uh, very popular. All kinds of people uh, weighed in on it. We chose to go that route because our own uh, IT policy for the city prevented us from uh, you know, doing a, a survey monkey or Google poll without going through a very long process <laughs> of vetting, uh, which is why we chose that route. It was um, easy and quick, uh, and uh, folks uh, loved it. Uh, in addition, you probably read uh, you know, an article or two. We got a lot of press about this issue. People were talking about it. It was in SF Gate, in the Chronicle, San Francisco Standard, Mission Local. There's you know, all sorts of uh, press that was had. So people are aware of this issue, and they've talked about it. Um, I am not coming to you recommending a particular name. I do have my personal preferences, but I think that that's immaterial. Uh, I can tell you that in the um, conversations that I had, particularly with kids, they preferred um, turtle, strawberry, and golden because, you know, kids connect with those things. Um, I think that adults uh, all had opinions about a particular person. Um, I know that you got a letter from um, Kimberly Ellis, uh, our uh, director of the Commission on the Status of Women, uh, talking about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Uh, we certainly don't have enough uh, things in our city named after women, particularly women of color. Um, but you know, by far in our poll, the uh, most popular name was uh, Blue Heron uh, because of all of the conservation work that has been done at this like very successful conservation work um, uh, with the heron, um, and you know also. So um, I think that if you haven't seen the Hayao Miyazaki movie, I highly recommend it. It's great. <laughs> um, and it's uh, very timely right now uh, when we're talking about herons. So um, with that, I will uh, turn it back over uh, to staff uh, to give you the facts. Uh, if, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them too. Oh, thank you, Supervisor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And that is my presentation. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> but I just want to tell, uh, touch on uh, a little background about Stowe Lake and a little bit more about uh, William Stowe. Uh, in 
1881, William Bond Pritchard, who was the park's second superintendent, made plans for a large reservoir on only the east side of Strawberry Hill to be used for irrigation, exercise, and pleasure. The construction actually began years later after attorney William W. Stowe was appointed to the Recreation and Park Commission in 1889. With a plan for a waterfall financed by Collis P. Huntington in hand, I'll speak to, to that name a little bit later, hmm. Stowe was able to extend the lake full circle around the hill. Contractor W.B. Bradbury lined the lake with water holding tamped clay from the area near Turk and Divisadero streets in the Western Edition neighborhood. Completed in 1893, the lake was rated for the Midwinter Fair held nearby and named in honor of Recreation and Park Commissioner William W. Stowe. So how did William Stowe get to be such a powerful player? After his incident in the State Assembly, he, he ran for the governor and was unsuccessful in his bid. And around 1886, 1856, he quit his political career and, and moved to San Francisco where he became a partner in the law firm of Patterson, Wallace, and Stowe, which handled primarily land use issues. From 1878 to 1893, Stowe made a name for himself as the political strong arm and attorney for Collis B. Huntington and the powerful Southern Pacific Railroad. He was primarily responsible for the railroad's ability to build the railways through his ability to raise massive amounts of funding and gain political favors. His skill as an attorney allowed him to manipulate the complex legal hurdles facing the railroads and Stowe became Huntington's key strategist in California. In 1889, he was appointed to the San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission and immediately began, surprisingly, complaining about the lack of funds for Golden Gate Park. Ironically, when he was in the assembly, he advocated to cut funding for the, uh, Golden Gate Park. And because of his ability to gain political favors and his fundraising acumen, he was, uh, this Golden Gate Park was named, I mean, this lake was named in his honor. And Supervisor Melgar has already shared with you the purpose of the renaming. But I would also like to share with you that the resolution, which is file number 221088, was uh, heard in the Public Safety and Neighborhood Committee where people from the public came out and shared their comments and it received a unanimous recommendation on May 11th, 2023. The resolution was subsequently unanimously adopted by the Board of Supervisors on May 16th, 2023 and it became effective on May, 20, May 26th, 2023. And this is not the first time that the commission has heard a renaming of a park issue. In fact, on September 19, 2019, the Recreation and Park Commission approved the name change from Julius Kahn Playground to Presidio Wall Playground at the request of Chinese community groups. As, as some of you may know, Julius Kahn was a 12-term congressman in the early 1900s who was instrumental in getting the Racist Chinese Exclusion Act extended in 1902. Like Kahn's anti-Asian policies, Stowe's anti-Semitism Semitism and anti-immigrant beliefs and policies do not express San Francisco's values today. San Francisco's parks and open spaces are for everyone in our diverse community and should not enshrine names of people who promote hatred or exclusion. As part of the Recreation and Park Commission policy on naming and or changing the name of designation facilities, which was adopted on May 14, 1981, three community outreach meetings 
were held to explain to the community the reason for the proposed name change and to solicit suggestions and recommendations on possible renaming options. These community meetings were held on May 19th, 2023 virtually, on September 27th, 2023 at the San Francisco County Fair Building, and on November 20th at Congregation Beth Shalom, and were attended by approximately 10 to 25 com community members per meeting. As Supervisor Melgar also shared, she also engaged youth from uh, the district. And she also inform provided information at her office hours in District, Se district 7, excuse me, her district newsletters and other community events. Some of the uh, media that were engaged in this, in this outreach efforts include KTVU News, San Francisco Gate, Chronicle, Axis, San Francisco Standard, uh, SFist, The Examiner, The Richmond Review, and Sunset Beacon, just to name a few. Additionally, as Supervisor Mulgar also mentioned, a citywide informational poll was conducted by the San Francisco Standard from December 4th, 2023 through December 17th. Readers were asked to choose from a list of 24 proposed candidates. At the conclusion of the polling period, the San Francisco Standard received 3,336 votes, with the majority selecting Blue Heron Lake, uh, 985 votes as their preferred choice. In second place was Strawberry Lake with 346 votes, and in third place was Turtle Lake with 303 votes. Based on community outreach and public input regarding the proposed naming of Stowe Lake, Stowe Lake Drive, and the Stowe Lake Boathouse, Blue Heron Lake is the preferred choice to rename the facilities. Given this information, staff recommend changing the name Stowe Lake, Stowe Lake Drive, and Stowe Lake Boathouse to Blue Heron Lake, Blue Heron Lake Drive, and Blue Heron, Live, <laughs> Blue Heron Lake Boathouse. I, this concludes my presentation and I'm available for any questions. We'll take public comment. Oh, Supervisor, please come back. So sorry, there uh, was just one uh, small detail that I failed to mention in my presentation, and that is in anticipation of this process, we did put uh, $50,000 into the budget uh, for the Rec Parks Department to help with uh, signage. Uh, I know that that's probably not enough, but you know I will continue to work uh, as a supervisor for this district to make sure that we're all okay with that. Um, and I also wanted to give particular thanks to Emma Hyken and Mike Farah on my staff who did a lot of the heavy lifting to get the word out on this. Thank you so much. Thank you for that gift. We'll all put right. it to good use, all of it. Commissioners, I have two blue cards. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't. I, I should. That's add back money. Sorry. <laughs> two blue cards. Um, I have Angus first, and then Judith. Oh, you can bring it on up. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. We have visual aids. I do. Wonderful. Okay, tell me when. When do I begin? Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Commissioners, I am Angus McFarlane. This is Patrick Quigley. Patrick just wants to come home. Our Golden Gate Park is a world-famous man-made miracle. Patrick was the original miracle worker. In 1872, at the age of 43, Patrick was hired by Superintendent William Hammond Hall to be the first laborer in the park. He earned $80 a month to work six days a week for nine hours a day. 
His importance also earned him a free residence for him and his family in the park. For 40 years, from 1872 to 1912, Patrick worked six days a week, nine hours a day. Imagine the aches and pains he suffered all those years and years and decades of manual labor into his 80s. From when it was just 1,000 acres of sand to his completion, Patrick devoted his life to his beloved park, including Stowe Lake. You could call him the park's godfather. This picture of Patrick was taken in November 1912 when he was 83 years old. He would die a week later on the job. Yeah. He literally gave his life to give us Golden Gate Park. His obituary credits him with turning sand dunes into a beauty spot. It also credits him with contributing to Stowe Lake's creation. Patrick, his wife, and 12 kids lived in Golden Gate Park for 40 years. Three Patrick's sons worked in the park service. Five Quigley children were born in the park. Three died in early infancy. Eight Quigleys, including Patrick and his wife, died in Golden Gate Park. From the Panhandle to Ocean Beach, the Quigley spirit permeates Golden Gate Park, including Stowe Lake. Commissioners, the honorable, the right, the only choice in renaming Stowe Lake is to name it in honor, I repeat, in honor of Golden Gate Park's original miracle worker. Please, please bring Patrick back home where he belongs. Thank you. All right, Thank I have you. Judith, and then I have Honest Charlie Bodkin. All right, Judith. <laughs> Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Judith Ledfors, and I live in the Richmond. Patrick Quigley was my great-great-grandfather. As one of his descendants, Golden Gate Park and its history have always been part of our family's stories. My grandmother, Genevieve, whose mother, Elizabeth Quigley, died before she was a year old, told us that as a child, she and her five siblings would trek from their home on Beulah Street down to the farm to visit their grandparents and the various Quigley aunts and uncles. She said their cottage was where, near where Kazar Stadium would eventually be built. She also told us how her school-aged brothers would strap themselves to windmills for an unofficial amusement ride. And my granddad liked to tell of how he courted my grandmother spending days in the park as he rode them around Stowe Lake. And certainly those sorts of family stories give all who share them a sense of connection to a place, and that's lovely. However, that is not why Patrick Quigley's name should be considered for renaming of Stowe Lake. Patrick Quigley and the many hundreds of men who worked with him gave of themselves year after year, indeed, in Patrick's case, decade after decade, doing backbreaking physical labor in order to turn this windswept sand dunes into the magnificent park that's been a place of recreation and respite and so much more for all who live in or just visit San Francisco. Yet as so often is the case, most of the named buildings and landmarks in the park carry the names of the wealthy and well-connected of their time. It seems to me it would be fitting for a representative of those workers whose toils actually brought the park into existence to be recognized in the renaming of Stowe Lake. Thank you for considering renaming the lake for Patrick Quigley and in so doing, recognizing those laborers whose bodies built the park. Thank you. Thank Next you. speaker. What a, what a treat. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, oh. Thank you. Um, my name is Honest Charlie Bodkin. You can just call me Honest for short. <laughs> it's a family thing. Um, I support renaming Stowe Lake to Golden, in Golden Gate Park to Phoenix Lake. Um, I brought a visual. Actually, I didn't. You did. Uh, it's the flag behind you. Um, the Phoenix uh, represents 
San Francisco's resilience and rebirth and has been featured on our city's first seal since 1852 and flag since 1900. In my conversations, I've found that many are unaware we even have a city flag, let alone that it features a phoenix or its significance, a testament to our city's recovery from the fires of 1850s and 1906 earthquake. As a regular visitor to the lake and on an enthusiast for hikes up Strawberry Hill, I've always felt the hilltop's natural contours evoke an essence of a phoenix nest as well. The lake, a key feature in the park since, 18, since the 1890s, mirrors the city's resilience through its history. Notably, the original boathouse was rebuilt in an alpine chalet style after a fire in 1937. I'd also ask for us to envision a phoenix statue, statue ideally positioned atop Strawberry Hill or adjacent to the lake or boathouse to be unveiled in 2026 to commemorate the 120th anniversary of the 1906 earthquake. Accompanied by a plaque to honor our history and the victims of the fires, this would create a poignant symbol of rebirth and strength, bridging our past and present. Thank you for considering renaming the lake to Phoenix Lake, which would enhance the lake's historical value and foster a deeper connection with the enduring spirit of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Anyone else in the room? Uh, you just come on right on up. Yep. If there's anyone else who wants to speak on this item, if you could um, make your way to the side over here. Welcome. Hi. Uh, my name is Jerry Weiss. My wife Andrea and I have been regularly walking at Stowe Lake for well over 35 years. It's provided literally hundreds of hours of refuge and peacefulness, and over all that time, the words Stowe Lake have always been synonymous for us with the most beautiful spot in San Francisco. So this naming, renaming is extremely personal. I'd just like to mention that the Board of Supervisors uh, has directed that the name should recognize the multicultural diversity and values as a sanctuary city of the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, it's all very well intentioned about per turtles and herons and such, but that does not meet the, re the request of the Board of Supervisors. Certainly there's no one who more exemplifies these qualities than Mary Ellen Pleasant, the mother of civil rights in California. If you've read the short biographical uh, information that I provided to each of you, then you already know about Mary Pleasant's work as an abolitionist, philanthropist, and advocate for the rights of women and people of color during San Francisco's formative years in the decades after 1850. Through her work with the Underground Railroad, she personally provided sanctuary, housing, and employment to hundreds of escaped formerly enslaved people who would then form the nucleus of San Francisco's early African-American community. Despite its well-deserved reputation for embracing progressive values, San Francisco also has a long history of systemic racial discrimination including housing, housing segregation strictly enforced by real estate redlining and the bulldozing of the Fillmore District's vibrant Harlem of the West neighborhood in the 1960s. Today, the move to end the single-family zoning clearly puts a target on the Bayview neighborhood as a tsunami of development washes south from Mission Bay down the Third Street Corridor. It would make a powerful statement of support for our dwindling back black community to designate Pleasant Lake as the new name for the most beautiful spot in San Francisco. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Jerry. Is there anyone else in the room who'd like to comment on this item? <clears throat> Seeing none, and I, we have no hands raised on our WebEx, um, 
public comment is closed. Commissioners? Commissioner Hallisey. Uh, thank you, President Anderson. Uh, I want to thank Supervisor Melgar for being here today, and I believe it's Emma. Thank you for mm. your participation as well. I also want to thank Angus and Judy, Honest, and uh, Jerry for being here today as well. As Lamont said, the policy on naming and or changing the designation of facilities was part of a resolution adopted in May 1981. The policy states that it has to be the name of a person. Now, I am 100% in favor of this. Uh, in my opinion, it's far too special to give this permanent honor uh, to a bird, a reptile, or a piece of fruit. Um, it also states, however, that the honoree must be deceased uh, for two years before being considered. Now, we did adhere to this policy in renaming Visitation Valley for Granny Huang. Uh, when we approved that proposal, she had been gone uh, two and a half years at that point. Now, the policy was amended in 1988. 1991, 1993, and 1994. But until another amendment is proposed and passed, I think we should follow uh, what we have in front of us. Now, personally, I am fully behind taking William Stowe's name off the lake, off the drive, off the clubhouse. However, I would like to find out a little more about the poll that was used to rename. Now, I know, uh, Emma, despite your best efforts, the community meetings were not all that well attended. I believe the remote meeting had 17 people take part. Um, second in-person meeting, there was 10 people present and 25 in November. Um, but in addition to engaging with folks in the community, you, you started this online poll in the month of December. And I, I'm just curious, and, and Emma, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. This is just for my own education as to how this poll was put together. I'm assuming that it was one computer, one vote. Uh, but if you could tell me how that process worked, who was on the receiving end of these votes, and how they were tabulated, I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, hello, commissioners. Thank you for having me. My name is Emma Hyken, and I am a legislative aide for Supervisor Melgar. Um, as mentioned, we did uh, have some legal hurdles for conducting a uh, poll within our office, and so we did call on the standard to conduct a poll. Um, so I, um, I worked with them to provide the information, the names, the background. I was not involved in the technological aspects of it, so I, unfortunately I cannot speak to them. Um, I do know that the folks at the standard did their best to um, make sure that the, the voters were, were San Francisco residents um, and were only able to vote once. Um, I'm not sure uh, how strict that was. I'm, I apologize, I don't have more specific answers because it was conducted externally. Okay. All right. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. And also, Emma, though, I, I know the primary thrust behind Supervisor Melgar's proposal 
was taking the Stowe name off Correct. of the lake, yes. of the clubhouse, of the drive. See, me personally, I'm in favor of that, but I would like more time as far as the renaming process myself. And I would hope there could be more engagement with the community to do this. I really appreciated the, the proposals today, uh, Mary Ellen Pleasant, um, Patrick Quigley, those were fantastic. I have a feeling there might be some, some others like this out there that we have not heard yet. So I, I'm, I fully support the proposal, but this, and I'm one vote, one person. Yeah. I would like more time, though, yeah. uh, to rename. I think that that is um, a perfectly fine approach, and I do think that the, the limitation to pursuing uh, more outreach and more um, community engagement would be budgetary constraints. Um, you know, the supervisor's role is to draft and pass legislation, and that, that process has, has been completed. Um, and so if more outreach would require some sort of additional staffing support. Okay. Thank you, Emma. I appreciate it. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, well, I just want to first say that um, I think as a department and a commission, we should tread carefully in the renaming business. Um, we could spend a whole lot of time and resources on this. And I do wonder sometimes if somebody who lived 150 years ago, if that name and their history as, as um, terrible as it may be, still does harm in the way that certain flags and statues and other images and names have done harm and have rightly been removed from you know, public spaces across our country. Um, personally, reading about William Stowe uh, as a person of Jewish faith, I was deeply disturbed and disgusted by um, the actions that he took and the things that he said. And, um, but still, I just asked that question, if this is you know, still doing harm to people. I wasn't aware of that history before very recently. Having said that, um, and I think we should think of renaming as being exceptional, um, not the norm, but we did set, you know, a more recent precedent in 2019, as you said, in renaming Julius Kahn Playground. And, um, you know, as Supervisor Melgar said, this is also a moment for the city to stand against anti-Semitism, and I truly appreciate that, as does the Jewish community. And I also appreciate that she took the time to do the research, to go visit, talk to kids, and to conduct the poll, um, and to, to find $50,000 in a tough budget environment to actually make this happen, because again, we are resource constrained. Um, so personally, I am in favor of removing the name Stowe. Um, and then my, my question really is, and I guess it's similar to what Joe said, um, you know, what is our process? If we rename after a per person, you know, how do we, we rank, you know, someone's contribution to San Francisco, to the parks, to our society? Um, you know, how are we going to make, make those decisions? In this particular case, I think we do need a thorough and rigorous process if we're going to name for a person. And going forward, what's that going to look like for, for us as a, as a commission in a city? Thank you, Carrie. Annie. <coughs> um, so I 
I definitely am in support of renaming Stowe Lake, um, and I don't think that hate or exclusion has any place in our beautiful park system that are designed to bring people together and are a place for inc for being inclusive. Um, so I I do agree. I think you know. Um, Commissioner Hallisey for bringing up the point of taking more time because when I came here today, I was a little bit torn about um, which name felt like the right the right one to choose to rename. Um, my I am a youth development practitioner too. I work in the field of youth voice and youth leadership, so I definitely take the. I believe that sometimes as adults we need to get out of the way and let the young people who are going to be the next stewards and of um, of our resources of our park, of our city, kind of weigh in and, and things that speak to them um, are important and it's important to listen to our young folks. So, you know, I'm, and Blue Heron seems like the right name. It makes sense about why not to just rename for another person. I agree with Commissioner Winthrop about how do you measure one or the others. Um, but I did, I wanted to also say thank you to um, our community members who shared the the really comprehensive information about Patrick Quigley and about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Um, I was able to pass those packets that you sent to us. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I gave her a homework assignment and I said, hey, we're, I'm gonna have to vote on this. Why don't you do some reading and do some research and tell me you know, what you think? She wasn't very excited about adding extra homework. <laughs> She'd rather be out there swinging baseballs, but, um, but she, she read it and she learned about it and she had some interesting, you know, and she was, after being forced to sit down and read, she was interested in learning about both their stories. And her, she had a hard time kind of choosing one or the other. Like you're saying, she felt like they both, you know, kind of deserved it. I think ultimately um, when pushed, her vote was for Mary Ellen Pleasant because she recognized that there's not a lot of places named for women or women of color. Um, so I wonder on that, that tip, I wonder if giving us more time and, and, and giving the public some more education and background and especially like our younger folks, like if everybody had that information, I'm sure I'm making an assumption about young people that more of them might be more familiar with what a heron is or a strawberry or a phoenix than who Mary Ellen Pleasant was or Patrick Quigley or any of these other folks that might not even be on this list. So. Um, yeah, I think that more time, it's a, it's a big responsibility and it's, and you know, I understand that it takes up a lot of time and resources, but this is our responsibility. And so I think giving us some more time to, um, to really do carry this responsibility with the weight it deserves would be my, my preference as well. Thank you, Annie. Larry. Thank you. Um, so, I am against renaming Stowe Lake. With all due respect to the Jewish community, and I want to make something perfectly crystal clear that there's no way I condone anything this guy did or said. Obviously, the dude was a scumbag, racist, crap weasel. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. Awesome. But, if you know, I, I'm just. The way I feel growing up in this city for my whole life, 54 years, I know it is Stow Lake growing up there. I'll always call it Stow Lake, even if the name gets changed. It's kind of like when they changed 
Candlestick the Monster Park. I always, everyone called it Candlestick. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, this is something that happened in the 1800s. If you go back and start looking at every street and everything in the city, you're going to find a whole hell of a lot more. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to find some that were racist toward Italians. But I wouldn't want to go change that name at this point. I think that, you know, there's more important things that we should be doing. And this isn't one of them. So I'm going to vote no to change the name. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Brianna? I, um, I have many thoughts, and I'll try to be uh, concise, as I know we're all hungry and tired. And I don't know about you all, but I'm cold. Um, I want to thank, first of all, the community for coming out here and doing your work and your job and caring about the city. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and it does break my heart that there, there was not more uh, community involvement, right? There wasn't more participation. Uh, I, the, <laughs> the, Phil was asking me about some of the differences between this commission, these commission meetings, and the Commission on the Status of Women, where, uh, you know, things that we tackled regularly were pay equity, domestic violence, sex work, um, gender equity, you know, STEM for girls, and I'm going to say that this was, this would be a packed house. There weren't a lot of people that showed up and cared enough to say, yes, we need this, or no, I don't want this, and, and here's what needs to happen. Um, but, you know, we had a, a, were overflowing when it came to pickleball mm-hmm. for San Francisco. So that time and dedication is commendable, and I appreciate you all for that. It means a lot. It means a lot to be on this dais and to have the responsibility to take on renaming. Thank you to staff for doing the work as well. Um, and I do have a question. Can you remind this myself? Uh, when, when did this process start? Gosh. Um, actually, <coughs> it was in 2018 when this uh, community member uh, visited then Supervisor Sandra Fuhrer with the same request. I'm not sure what happened while that didn't go any further, but he also came back to Supervisor Melgar and brought it back to her then. So I know it's been going on since 2018. Okay. And I just want to remind the commission that this is a community-driven process. The department doesn't do this. So if this is to be prolonged, who's going to pick up the mantle and take it forward? Correct. Thank you for that. Yeah. And also regarding Mary Ellen Pleasant, we're very well aware of what she has done, and she is uh, on a list of possible namings at India Basin Shoreline. So we do recognize that. That's good to know. Yeah. So I, you know, I understand how some of my colleagues are asking for more time. It's something that I ask for God multiple times a day because mm-hmm. uh, I need it. <laughs> 
uh, I also believe that there's times when you have to do the work and show up when the community tells you that this needs to be done, and it's been going on since 2018. So, you know, I'm not going to create a motion yet, um, but if anyone wants my support to not take a vote to, for yes or no or, or to move forward with some type of action today, I need that vote or motion to include a date so it doesn't look like we are shirking our responsibilities and kicking the can down the road because we have to do our work as well, what we were entrusted to do, and move forward. Um, <coughs> I also really believe that I, I think, Commissioner Mazzola, you are completely correct as far as if you look back in history, you know, they always say don't meet your own heroes. Uh, people are flawed. I will quote Fidel Castro, which I know many people might laugh at, but he always says revolution, what people need to remember, revolution is done by man, not by gods. And there are people who, you know, have shown us some of the darkest parts of ourselves and humanity. And you can always find uh, something that's wrong. I also really believe in finding the light. And it's not just what is said, but it's our action and values. And I am very proud that the community brought this up and, and wants to make a change. Um, and it is a balance, right, that we always have to do, not just with, well, we can't rename everything because we've already talked about the resources that it takes. And I'm not just talking about capital, um, but again, it's, you know, quote unquote, making everyone happy and, and the time uh, to do this. I also want to point out, in addition to some of the principles that were laid out in the process that is, you know, brought for us, is that we also have an ordinance, uh, 243-18, which calls on the commemoration uh, for more females within this city as well. So it's, you know, we have beautiful birds and nature. Um, we also have a problem in our society that doesn't recognize over 50% of its own population when it comes to the work that was done. Um, it's not always just the, the man who, who else was doing the work and giving vision and image to those people. So with that ordinance and you know, it's also something that I worked on with the Arts Commission. How do we represent, I think Diane Feinstein is one of the only artworks statues that we have of a female. That was because she was mayor, not because of anything else. Um, even though she's, she has done some great things. So I would like to support moving forward and renaming. Um, I'm happy to explore other names but I, I also don't want to do this blindly. And so if one of my colleagues wants to, to nominate a name, if one of my colleagues wants to say by this date or, or these guidelines, I also want to say we are a commission and we have been empowered to do the work and to set up that process and those standards today. And I would urge us to do so. Thank you, Brianna. Vanita. Um, <coughs> Renaming something is like the most unfavorite thing to do, um, unless it is of 
uh, Grandma Huang. It was very clear when we renamed the playground. Um, and we had uh, representation from her family and the Viz Valley community. But having, having said that, and growing up as a native of San Francisco and going to Stowe Lake every Saturday, if we just named it like Pink Popcorn Lake, that I would be okay with that because that's what I begged to get when I went to Stowe Lake was that rectangle pink popcorn. <laughs> but that's not where we're going with this. But um, in all due respect, we're working with um, policies and um, a document from, I, th I believe, the 90s where we can't do this or we should do that. Or, so if we're going to go through a process, are we going to like open and dig a big can of worms open and look at the charter and have it, you know, uh, currently rewritten? You know, there's, a, there's just a lot of work involved as an oversight body to, their, uh, to a department. So um, we could spend as much time or as little time, but I think, you know, the poll that was taken from Supervisor uh, Myrna Melgar, which it does have some weight in it, there were there was a process. There were names nominated. There was votes taken, whether it's four votes or one vote or what it counted. There is a vote taken because from Blue Heron Lake what ha, con, um, collected the most votes. The second vote was in the 300s versus 900. So that's like three times the amount of people of that number of votes voiced that they liked Blue Heron Lake. So I think as an oversight to a department and we are the voice of the voter, that poll still has some weight. Now, I will go with the... Um, with what the commission decides on whether to, you know, table this, put in more work. But at this point, you know, <clears throat> renaming something is not our, my favorite thing to do because it, we can be spending a lot more of our time on really things that really are, are going to affect the department in this new year. Thank you, Vanita. Emma. <clears throat> I wanted to add a little bit of color to um, the, not the results of the poll, but the, um, the items that people were allowed to vote on. Um, so while that was an external poll, the names were collected by Supervisor Melgar's office, and we did um, take the extra step to both um, confirm that the folks who nominated names were San Francisco residents um, and uh, require that they provide an explanation. I, um, we got a lot of recommendations from across the country, across the world, um, and so I did narrow it down to um, San Francisco residents who had a reason. Um, so all of the names provided, um, while non-San Francisco residents may or may not have voted in that poll, it was a San Francisco resident who nominated the name. So I just want to add that color to the poll. Thank you. Um, did you still want to speak or? I still see your name on the list. Do you would want to? Oh, are we done? Okay. Uh, anybody else want to add? I, I kind of wanted to go last, so does anybody else want to speak? Well, I did want to just uh, address um, the question about if we did decide to delay it, who would do the work, right, of mm -hmm. like, and so, yeah, that is a question. <laughs> um, and I don't know if, Emma, you have thoughts or if anyone has thoughts on who, like, what, yeah. 
what, what what the capacity is of your office or ideas about if you know if we felt like we wanted to t collect more community input on it before deciding today. Uh, the, so the Board of Supervisors um, budget does not contain explicit renaming outreach line item. Mm -hmm. um, and I imagine that the Recreation and Parks Department also does not include such an item. So I think that would um, have to be added to the budget, which would be, of course, done by either the mayor or the Board of Supervisors. So I think that would be the process okay. unless we have other creative ideas. Okay, great. Sarah. Commissioner Sarah Madlin, um, just to be clear, the department also has a policy on renaming and the process. And that process is that it is a community-driven, community-led process. Um, I believe it might have even been part of your packet, but if it's not, we're happy to share. Mm -hmm. um, involves multiple meetings and consultation with the supervisor. This is not something Rec and Park staff lead. It is not, it, we, we embed and support, but it is not something that staff drives. Um, there has to be a, a, a community group or an outside force that is leading it. So to answer to your question, given our policy and the way we have set up these renamings, because as you have all noted, they are tricky, they involve a lot of input, um, that, uh, that it is best that this be a grassroots process that staff uh, enables, but does not drive. Thank you for that clarification, Sarah. Carrie. I just was curious with the Julius Kahn renaming, how many, I know there was a, quite a bit of outreach, but how many people actually voted for that, for the Presidio wall? And I ask because if you had 5,000 people weigh in, which I believe is more than we've already received, um, that's still like one half of 1% of the San Francisco population. I mean, it's just not broad based. And that's, again, that's just why I'm questioning when it comes to a name at all, um, or specifically naming it after a person, you know, what do we, what are our benchmarks for making a decision? I don't know off the top of my head the number of people that participated in the Presidio wall process, although I can get you that information. Um, what our experience has shown us in the past with these, and in the case of Presidio Wall, there were uh, neighborhood or, neighborhood or uh, faith-based organizations that participated and spoke for a larger community. So conveners are often involved. In that process, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna try to rattle off all the groups that were participating, because I'll miss someone, but I can share that with you. But there were um, not just individuals, but but community or uh, faith-based groups that, that represented their membership in those processes. Does that make sense? So the, the, I will get you, Bev unfortunately had to leave and she led that process. I'm sure she could answer those questions, but we can get you that staff report so you can see how that one worked. Thank you. Um, so I had some thoughts I wanted to share too. I think all of us have been sort of leave, losing sleep over this because it's an incredible honor and, and a heavy duty to rename something that's carried a name for like 150 years. Um, it's, an, it's an important responsibility that still is reposed in the power of this commission. So in a way, seven people get to decide a new name and we are taking this very seriously. 
Um, and we want to be sure that we express our sensitivity to all communities involved. I, I was so glad to hear Carrie speak up. She's a person in the Jewish faith, you know, and to hear from our native San Franciscans how they feel. Um, it hit me how one day we're going to be walking around that lake, whatever the new name is, and the seven of, of us can say, wow, we renamed, we named that. You know, that has a tremendous impact. So I want very, um, we all want to be sure that we are doing justice with this community input. You're right. This is a community-driven uh, process. We're hearing all the community input. Emma, thank you so much. Uh, from Supervisor Melgar's office, I can tell you I have over 105 communications in favor of some name change and 15 opposed. So I think generally the fact that we're not hearing from a lot of people means they trust the process. We have some very thoughtful processes. Uh, the commission has a process, as Joe outlined, that with great reluctance we would change a historical name. That's in our commission policy, with great reluctance. <coughs> it also talks about how e we'd want to name it after a person who's been dead at least two years and someone who hadn't previously been um, honored or recognized for their significant impacts. <coughs> Are you speaking to me? No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, I really want to um, thank Angus and Jerry uh, for putting together beautiful packets about Patrick Quigley and about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Um, Patrick Quigley stands for the worker. He was the, basically the right-hand man of John McLaren who made things grow and take seed and transform the park. And he was a person of Irish descent. I believe, is this correct, his wife was named Mary? And they had nine children, some of whom died in the park, and all of them, the ones who lived, thrived in the park. That was their home. A worthy candidate. Thank you. And then we have Mary Ellen Pleasant, a, an, a, an unsung hero. There, now, there is a medallion to her uh, in the Western Edition, Pack Heights area. It's a, a tiny little pocket park. I've been there, actually. Um, she was an, a wonderful character. I would have loved to have been her best <laughs> friend because she basically said, I don't care what society sees me as. I am going to succeed and I am going to support my people. Her number one mission was to free people. She, support, she was an abolitionist. She volunteered to move from the East Coast to the West Coast. She supported the John Brown Rebellion. And she was a self-made intelligent person who worked as a cook and a domestic who listened to the movers and shakers and did what they did and invested her money and became a self-made millionaire in the late 1800s. She would be a billionaire today. I admire this woman so much. I personally would love to name this park after her or this lake after her, Pleasant Lake. Um, maybe there's some future plans for that name in the India Basin, which is the first time I've heard that, so I don't know exactly how to balance that. Um, and then uh, in the materials that Emma gave me, um, Blue Heron Lake got the most votes out of 105. It got 18. 
then Strawberry Lake got nine, Turtle Lake and, and Harriet Beecher Stowe got seven. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe would be a good idea because then you would only have to add an E, saving us some resources. And then one last thing I wanted to add. If we do consider the name of an animal, a great blue heron is the color of gray mist reflecting in blue water. And like mist, she can fade into the backdrop, all of her disappearing except the concentric circles of her lock and load eyes. She is a patient, solitary hunter, standing alone as long as it takes to snatch her prey. Or eyeing her catch, she will stride forward one slow step at a time like a predaceous bridesmaid. And yet, on rare occasions, she hunts on the wing, darting and diving sharply, sword-like beak in the lead. This is by Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. What I suggest is that we bifurcate this vote, and first we take a vote on whether or not we're going to remove Stowe from the name of the lake and the drive and the boathouse. Then I suggest we get to the renaming, which I think is going to be a harder process. Would I have support in bifurcating this vote in this way from my fellow commissioners? I need a motion and a second. I suggest that we bifurcate the vote. First, we vote on removing the name of Stowe from the lake, the drive, and the boathouse. Period. Could we do that? <clears throat> President Anderson, um, after we close public comment, someone raised their hand. Would you, it's just one person. Would you like me to no. unmute her? No, sorry. Okay. No. <laughs> Thank we you. got rules for reasons. Sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. Would anyone like to move and second my suggestion? I would like to move uh, that we take the Stowe name off the lake, boathouse, and drive, what is presently known as Stowe Lake and area. Do I have a second? I do have a second. All right. All those in favor for the motion as stated by Commissioner Hallisey, state aye. 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 Any opposition? No. So we have six ayes and one no. We have now removed the name of Stowe. All right. That is an historic moment. Thank you, Commissioner, I mean, Commissioners, Supervisor Melgar, and Aide Emma Hyken. We are righting a wrong. I had a little thing I wanted to say. I said this at the Monumental Reckoning, uh, which they're taking those statues down. It's called a homecoming. Dana King, the sculpture, talked about how we actually shouldn't try to erase historical things, but we should teach. So this is a teachable moment. What I would like to share on that is the following, because sometimes politics can really loom large, but they shouldn't, because sometimes one can do noble things. Sometimes one can do great things. But in the annals of history, what we want to see, what we want to see, is are you always trying to do the right thing? So we just did the right thing, and thank you for everyone who participated. Now, on the next part of this, 
Could I have a motion and a second? Or actually, I think what we have to do is, is we'll state a motion, a second, and then we'll have discussion. So I need a little help here. Are we going to go down an individual names, or do we want to suggest a group of names and then have discussion? Um, Commissioners, just a point of clarification. As you go through this process, and knowing that there are some commissioners here who uh, have expressed a desire for more discussion or more time. Yes, agreed. I presume we are not, that removing Stowe from the lake is contingent upon there being another name. Yes. Okay. So yes. um, we may want to clarify that in, in, in that prior motion that you have removed, that you are directing the department to remove the name of Stowe from the, the lake, the road, and the building at such point as a new name is actually selected. Good point. So then what I suggest is, is let's have conversation to see if we can get at least four votes for a new name. And if we cannot, then we will go back and add a friendly amendment and re-vote on taking the name off. All right? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> I, I was thinking that, and I'm all about expediency, um, you know, we don't want to drag this on, and it's hard to remove a name, as Phil said, without having a new name. But if we do want to take a little more time, I think we have to decide if we're going to take more time um, than perhaps at the next commission meeting. You know, we've we've vetted some some options more thoroughly, uh, more thoughtfully, um, or should we be deciding on a name now, and it's a person or it's a an animal or something, you know, an, an object. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a... Let's... Uh, then I suggest that a next motion that might be made is, are we going to decide today on a new name or are we going to decide at a date certain a new name? Does that sound fair? Okay. Would someone like to move and second that? Uh, well, can I just yeah. have my say here on, on this? I was reading just in the last couple of days about Justin Herman Plaza and Julius Kahn Playground. And one thing in the story about Justin Herman Plaza, the commission voted to take Justin Herman's name off the plaza, but in the document or the information was that this could be renamed something else at a later date. So in other words, they took, and actually, um, Commissioner Mazzola and Anderson were on the commission at that time. So they took the name off, but they did not rename it at that time, which was their option. But the option was in there that maybe we will rename this at some point. Now, I also wanted uh, to say that Commissioner Zward had a very good point. I personally would like more time, but I also don't want to give the public the idea that we are shirking this responsibility. And so I believe that if we said we are going to have a name that we are all going to vote on at our February meeting, that might satisfy some of the people on the commission, including myself, 
that feel like we need a little more time. Do I hear a motion? Can I just clarify something? Yeah. Um, I think on the renaming of Justin Herman, um, we renamed it Embarcadero. Yeah, well, Plaza. Embarcadero Plaza was its prior name. So it was. We, we removed, we removed uh, the commission, removed uh, Justin Herman, and uh, it remains Embarcadero Plaza yes. today. I am unaware. Uh, there are, I think we can have our uh, uh, historian in residence, Christopher Pollock, do a little bit of homework for us, but I am unaware of what Stowe Lake was called before Stowe. I think it was called a pit. It didn't exist. <laughs> it was made and then it was named, if I understand correctly. <laughs> um, so I just want to clarify on your on the point of the motion you made. Is so it, it from what I'm understanding about the time, because I think yes, that's what um, my ideal situation would be: is if we could come back in February, have a date decide like and say we're going to decide on a name by then but it sounds like we're still a little bit unclear if anyone because what what we were what we're hoping for is more community input on the name <laughs> right is to get to hear from more people but it sounds to me like we're not that that's still that's what we're being told is that the department's not going to conduct any more community meetings Supervisor Melgar's office can't do it. So that, like, I just want to be clear on that because if that's the truth, if we delay it, then what's the point of delaying it to February if we're not going to gather anything more than what we have today? This is a community-driven process, and the staff just supplies right. information to the community, but it's driven by the community, so they would be responsible, and we would have to identify someone from the community to pick the continued outreach up. Right. So that would be our hope. If in delaying that today, that somebody out there would pick it up, but we can't guarantee that, right? Oh, that's correct. Yeah, that's the hard part. Uh, well, I have a, I have kind of a practical response to what you said, Annie. That makes some good sense. So, um, if I had another month to think about it, and there's no support to collect more information from the community, I, I would probably become more confused about what I should be doing today. There are so many um, opportunities for beautiful names out there, and I would probably you know, do more research and talk to some friends and you know, walk around the park some more and try to get some inspiration. But to be fair, I, I feel like there have been a lot of um, interesting names have come up. Uh, and we know that there are people out there that feel very strongly about it. That, you know, went to all the trouble to come and to create beautiful packets, and we're kind of we're he we're hearing some good advice from our staff. Um, so I, I want to respect my fellow commissioners, and you know I want to go along, and I'm also just wondering, you know, how am I going to change my own mind in a month? I guess Vanita. I'm just going to put a little twist on this. You know, it's it was named it's named Stow Lake. I've always remember it. We call, I never questioned why it was named Stow Lake. I always thought it was named Stow Lake because the turtles stowed away in this little lake. <laughs> so if we think about changing the name or keeping the name, but changing it from a noun to a verb, 
Yeah, I know. And or stowaway lake. lake. Stowaway because lake, yeah. The definition of something that is stowed is carefully and neatly put away in a particular place. Like a lake, like a body of water. I mean, that's just something to put out there. I never questioned I love that. what stow was about. Stow, like a man stow, woman, you know, I never thought, I just thought it, the turtles stow away there on the rock. So that's, that's all I want to add. I would like to move that we can, that we rename Stow Lake to Stow the Verb. Do I have a second? Second. All those in favor, raise your hand. Three. All those opposed, raise your hand. Four. Okay. Now we're going to have to go to another vote. Commissioner, I mean, there were 24 names that they had the option to choose from. Yeah. And out of those 24, those three were the top vote getters. Yes. And the, in your packet, yeah. there are the list of the other names that were included as options yeah, for people. <clears throat> Blue Heron, Strawberry Lake, and uh, Turtle Lake. Is that what you mean? Okay. Anyone want to move? Let's, we, I think we need to try this for a couple more rounds. Okay. May I have a motion and a second for a different name, please? Larry. I'd like to make a motion we keep it Stow Lake. Any second? I'll second that. All those in favor, raise your hand. Three. All those opposed, raise your hand. Okay, can it's I, not going to be Stowe Lake. Can I say right. something? Yeah, Carrie. We just voted to remove the name Stowe. Again, as I said earlier, before all this history, you know, came to the forefront, you know, I think a lot of people didn't know the name Stowe. I don't know that that name was doing harm to people every day, but again, I can't represent everybody. Um, but we have moved, we have now voted to remove the name. Mm -hmm. The most expedient path and probably one which will not come back to us in the future because again if you put a person's name on it it's really it could be a lovely honor but we could find a skeleton in somebody's closet later or yeah. times change so if we want to just resolve this instead of just saying let's keep it stow i think we should remove stow as we just said we did as we voted and <laughs> name it you know not for a person um, the name Blue Heron Lake sounds like whether we think we had enough data or not, it may be as much data as we're ever going to collect because we have a lot of practical constraints. I think it's a lovely name. It, it is, you know, a, a bird that inhabits that space. Um, I would move to vote it if we are not going to delay this and have a more rigorous process that does engage the community um, more expansively, then I would move to rename to Blue Heron Lake. Do I have a second? I'll second that. Brianna, did you want to speak? Well, I have a question. You want to turn your mic on? There you go. I know we don't have our city attorney here, but I thought it was in the, the, the charter or 
had to be after a person. If that's not true, it's a policy, and it can be. It, it was a yeah, policy me, passed by the commission. By that, for for you guys, because um, uh, Commissioner Halsey, you, you you raised this issue about. Sorry. Uh, you raised this issue about what the policy says. Exactly. And and fair enough, right? There there is a commission policy. I think you have the. When was the year it was last amend, amended, Commissioner Halsey? Nineteen ninety four. Okay, last so it was amended. last amended nineteen years ago. Policies. No, actually, uh, 29, 29 years ago. Twenty nine years ago. Sorry, <laughs> and I'm old. Uh, put my lawyer hat on here. Yeah. It's not an ordinance. He's cut. It's not in the charter. Um, policies should guide policy making bodies, but you are not required to abide by them literally. Mm -hmm. um, you, you want to draw your policy from the spirit of the policy or explain why you're not. Um, you know, this is something that maybe the commission wants to <laughs> think about how to refresh or update. Yeah. Um, but as you um, as you can see from our, our prior efforts at grappling with renamings at Presidio Wall, at Embarcadero Plaza, <laughs> and at Embarcadero Plaza, um, you're you're not required to follow that literally. Okay, I, you know I I don't understand it then. And I, I, listen, yes, it's been a while since we have amended this, right? Or people before me that have served right. in this commission have amended it. I just don't understand why we have it if we're not going to adhere to it. And, and, yeah. and if someone would make a motion to put another amendment forward, right. to take the naming of a facility for a person out of the document, I, I could see, I might support that, I will say that. But this is what we have, and I just don't understand that we can just totally dismiss it. That's a, the nature of policies are that that's a very reasonable point of view, Commissioner Hallisey. I'm just, if the question specifically, and I don't know if our city attorney is watching and wants to come up, if the question specifically. Oh, I already asked to clarify. If the, the question is specifically, yeah. is this body required today uh, to follow a policy its predecessor body ratified 29 years ago, the answer is not literally. Yeah, we, we also Brianna, just named a park, Pelican Park. Huh? We, we just, we, there was, uh, the new park that we're having in the East Cut is, is gonna be named Pelican Park. So that I think we would have, you know, then if this was something we weren't allowed to do, that would have right. come up then. But I, I would suggest, I, I agree with like, maybe there needs to be some some updates to the policy, and maybe we can put that under commissioners' matters or work yeah. on that. For I think we should. I would take support that, that. Yeah, in the future. And I did talk with I, our deputy I, city attorney about this, Brianna. And to answer your question, it's okay to name it whatever we can agree on. One other bit of um, uh, just uh, suggested suggested guidance. Um, the way this got to this commission is that there were there was a recommendation through the process that was initiated by the supervisor's office of three names, uh, three different names for the lake. Again, you don't have to pick any of those today, but I, I, I would suggest that we did publicly notice those three names and that that's what you are considering today. Mm -hmm. You know, also though, 
getting back to that poll, and Emma, with all due respect, it appears that it is possible people could have voted multiple times for a choice on that list, right? We can't say that that did not happen. Right, okay. That's why, Joe, I kind of like, I, I like these emails. I feel like that these are sort of a percentage of how it would have been in a greater vote. Mm -hmm. And Blue Heron came out, you know, twice ahead of everything else. Yep. But anyway. 18. Okay. I know, it's small, I know, I know. Right. I got it, I know. Okay. So I we do have a motion. I, I but would we like do have a motion. that we vote on. Uh, Carrie has moved for the name of Blue Heron Lake, and we had a second. Yes. So that means we need to vote now if everyone has commented. All right. On the motion of renaming <clears throat> Stowe Lake to Blue Heron Lake, let's take a roll call, please. Okay. Yeah. Commissioner Anderson? Yes. Commissioner Hallisey? No. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? Yes. Commissioner Louie? Yes. Commissioner Mazzola? No. Commissioner Wintraub? Yes. Commissioner Zwart? That's three no's and four yeses. Motion carries. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, everybody. Can I just have a word? Um, hold on one moment. <laughs> we are going to reopen general public comment in just a moment. Okay, on and, this and, issue. Okay. And that would be not, not on this issue, um, but the time for comment on this issue has passed, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so thank you, everybody. Um, we are now going to move to general public comment, and I have uh, a few blue cards left, and um, I know some people probably left because who doesn't have all day to sit at a commission meeting? Um, but I'm going to start calling names, and if you could just quickly raise your hand and let me know you're here, and if I call your name, go ahead and start walking up to um, the front for public comment. I have Laura Carmony, are you here? Cindy Norman, and Annie Wellham. Are any of those folks here? Okay, I have Peter Zappam, Bill Lafferty, I see you, Bill. Why don't you come on up? If I called your name, I can go through. The, just come on up if you're here to comment during general public comment, and you didn't, and you didn't comment earlier. Yeah, yeah. There's not that many of you, so I think you can just hang out and wait up here. Bill, why don't you come on up? Come on. Ready? Somebody please come to the okay. dais to speak. <laughs> okay, thank you. So I'm here to comment on a letter that we received from Beverly Ng on 113.20. Can you please put the microphone right to your oh, mouth? Sorry. That's okay. I just want to be able to hear you. <laughs> okay. That Beverly Ng sent to us on Saturday, 113.2024 at 5 p.m. In this letter, it's, it says, thank you for meeting with this week to review the agreement from last year when we temporarily expanded pickleball at Presidio Wall. This is creating a false narrative. That never happened. So my history is I've been working with the pickleball community since 2015. I've been 
the first time, uh, and also uh, it says at the pickleball courts of proceeding wall, I'm assuming courts three and four. The first time this issue came up was December, 19, December of 2019, when then president of this board, Mark Buell, brought his staff, Dana Ketchum, and this was the issue that was on the agenda. At that time, we had 50 to 60 people showing up at court one and two to play pickleball, and we wanted to be expanding to court three and four. That shows you the time frame that we have been working on this issue. So we've created a false narrative, and then we're working off that false narrative. In fact, the superintendent made the same statement that this was a temporary expansion. That has to be understood absolutely wrong. The other narrative that is incorrect is it says, and within six years, Reckon Park had 63 outdoor pickleball courts. That narrative is 100% wrong. First, in order, if you play badminton, volleyball, tennis, pickleball, basketball, you need a net. If you line courts and do not put it. Sorry, your time has passed. Um, next speaker. Holy shit. My name is Mercury Chappelle. Uh, I'm an avid pickleball player. In fact, I'm going to Presidio Wall right after uh, we finish speaking here. Um, just to build on the point of the previous speaker, um, a pickleball net costs at least $70. It can be as much as 200 So I do think it's an equity issue. And while I think it's great that the pickleball courts have been expanded so much, I don't think it really counts simply to paint lines on the court. Um, so I, I think we need to dial back uh, how much they really have been expanded. Um, so my suggestion for balancing uh, the described mental health needs for the Presidio residents with those of the 1,200 people who signed the petition, who also, of course, have mental health needs uh, and enjoy the socialization and the exercise. I'd like to urge San Francisco, which has been a leader in so many important issues across the country and across the world, uh, to seize this opportunity and be a model for how other cities and towns can address noise issues. Someone else mentioned that uh, sound curtains have been used in other cities, as well as noise-canceling paddles and balls. So I would really love uh, to see us move first there. I'd also like to point out that we had 70 people show up for this who waited uh, three hours to speak. So I really do think that this deserves a little bit more time and attention and shouldn't just be swept under the rug with a uh, no-vote decision. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, sorry to make you wait a little bit longer for lunch. My name is Alex Wilson. I'm here in support of SF Pickleball today. Thanks for hearing us out. Um, I just want to point out one underappreciated element of the sport is the positive effects from court density. Um, the increased number of courts enables open play where any community member without making a reservation can find other players at their level, creating fun and competitive games, uh, and making players more likely to return. 
Uh, Reckon Park has generously supported open play at Presidio Wall. I'm personally very grateful for it. Uh, I've become friends with both retirees and teenagers via that open play at Presidio Wall. Um, I've also played at 46 of the 87 courts in San Francisco. Presidio Wall is the best place in the city for open play uh, just because of the number of courts there. Um, open play is ultimately the foundation for the community building effects that we know pickleball can provide. Uh, in the time of increasing loneliness and atomization, open play has been an amazing solution for a large and growing community. Um, the 12 courts in this same location do not equal one court each in 12 different areas. And while six of 87 courts going away sounds very small, uh, it really matters which six courts go away. Um, compared to some of the other things that have been on the uh, agenda today, I know this seems kind of trivial. Um, you're, the commissioners have done you know, a lot of deliberative work on some really important issues. Uh, so I really appreciate you hearing us out. Uh, I do ask for the next step to be a moderated session between Rec and Park, the neighborhood community, and the pickleball community uh, to talk about the solutions to sound and parking complaints. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Peter Zapponi. I'm with the executive board of Golden Gate Pickleball. We are the largest and fastest growing nonprofit pickleball organization in San Francisco. We have members across San Francisco and the greater Bay Area. Um, we have youth grant programs, we have outreach, and we, are, we wanna be here to help with the strategic planning of more dedicated pickleball courts. We don't wanna be in conflict with tennis courts or basketball courts. We wanna help support the process of getting more pickleball courts. I have a long history of working personally with Rec and Park on restoring facilities, designing and constructing new facilities. There's a, there's a process to make all this happen. And um, what's happening at Presidio Wall is a very active community. A lot of our members play there and um, I'm here to support them. Um, Louis Sutter has a conceptual plan I think might be under consideration right now that I designed and presented last year. I think San Francisco is in desperate need of a pickleball complex, something that has, like um, Adam just said, about more courts, more courts and density in one location where people can come and, and meet people from all, cross, all, all crosses of life in San Francisco. Um, Presidio Wall, uh, didn't seem to have the community outreach. I was, I was pleased to hear all the talk about Stowe Lake, about how that was a community-driven process, community-driven. That's the way we work in San Francisco. We have community input. This doesn't seem like there was community input. There, I just heard about this, and I'm very much at the forefront of everything happening in Pickleball in San Francisco. I heard about it on Monday, that the, that it was, that the courts were being removed. That doesn't seem like a community-driven process. Thank you. Next speaker. When my wife dropped me off here <clears throat> this morning, she said, remember, you don't need to comment. And uh, I feel like I have some important issues to emphasize. Um, first, I have Parkinson's and had it for 20 years. And uh, if I didn't have these courts to go to in the day and all those people to meet and have fun with, I, this would be a much more dismal 
place. Um, also, the health aspects of pickleball are, should be evident in me. Uh, those 20 people that I knew in Bellingham, Washington, where I lived before moving down here, um, none of them are around anymore. I am. So uh, it's completely different than tennis. Tennis puts a lot more strain on your body. I played tennis, and it's subject to all kinds of injury. And so I think the court should be expanded rather than limited. And I guess, was that the two-minute buzzer? You have 25 more seconds. Um, Please continue. Well, I'm afraid I'm sitting in between people going to lunch and people uh, listening to my health issues. Uh, so that's my hope is that you would consider making this a center of pickleball rather than just a bunch of scared courts. And you have the opportunity to do that with what's at uh, the wall now. So. Thank you. That's it. Yeah, I appreciate you waiting. <laughs> If there's anyone else who wants to comment during general public comment, uh, please come up now. Thank you. Hello, I'm Mel Mashman. I'm a USA Pickleball ambassador as well. Um, and I, along with Mary, uh, Lisa is no longer here, and a couple other people teach a free novice class on Tuesday mornings at Presidio Wall. Uh, we've had something like 1,200 uh, people take that class. Uh, we get as many as 20 people a week. Uh, so the, the sport is really expanding, and you know all that, so I don't have to explain it, but that's one of the reasons it is expanding. Uh, we've talked a lot about noise reduction uh, in terms of fencing and all that. USA Pickleball has all sorts of solutions, and uh, we need to explore those solutions. One way to explore them is to measure the noise, put those solutions in, and then measure the noise again and see if we've made improvements. Uh, this is included with the fencing, new paddles, uh, etc. So we really haven't done very much to measure noise. We've just heard that it's noisy, uh, and we want to reduce it. One of the ways to do that is the fencing and the new paddles, but let's measure it. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to address was uh, the parking issue. If we had angle parking instead of parallel parking on uh, West Pacific Avenue, uh, you'd find that we'd have uh, many more places to park. Also, if we moved the barriers closer to Presidio Boulevard, we'd have much more parking and get it off the neighborhood streets. All right, and finally, I'd just like to stay your resolution about stove. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, you can't comment on an item that was already on today's agenda after it's passed. Oh, so, okay. yeah, 
but you can email the commission. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you. I'll wait after. Okay. I want to know what you heard. What you said. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, Thank you. We really want a stakeholders meeting, so Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Is there Thank anyone you. else here today who wants to comment on? I have people on the WebEx, so I'll get to you folks in a second. Um, anyone else want to comment during general public comment that didn't already get a chance today? Okay, let's move over to the WebEx, TV. Can you unmute the first speaker, please? And thank you for everybody that came and hung out for so long so you could talk with us. We really appreciate your time. Hi, my name is Annette Hurst, and I'm asking the commission to direct the staff not to restrike the courts at Pickleball, pardon me, at Presidio Wall, and to withdraw the request that the nets be removed until we can have community meetings to discuss a comprehensive strategy and plan for citywide pickleball in San Francisco. The courts at Presidio Wall are a uniquely diverse, equitable, and inclusive community in this city. It is the only place where you can find young tech bros terrified of old ladies for their physical prowess. It is the only place where women and men, young and old, people of color, rich and poor, all play together. And the ability to have that is only because we have a critical mass of courts that support open play. The culture of pickleball is the culture of pickup games and open play. And we need all of the courts to support that diverse, equitable, and inclusive culture. What's happening at Presidio Wall is the embodiment of our values in San Francisco, and keeping all of the courts is essential to that. And it's particularly a poor policy choice to pit the embodiment of DEI against the only in my backyard, rich pickleball players up the hill. It's terrible policy to do that. I implore you to stop the restriping and withdrawal of the nets and keep the courts while we can all come together to develop a strategy that supports this incredible sport. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Commission. Thank you for your time on this matter. My name is Nate Valentine. I want to reiterate what other Nate, I, I apologize for interrupting you. I'm going to stop your time. Your um, voice is coming through really choppy, so I don't know if you can do anything now to fix that, or if you want to hang up and call back and raise your hand while while I work with the other person. Is it working or not working? Yeah, it's still a little choppy. Hang, hang up and try again. You're digitized. Yeah, just come, just hang up, call right back, <laughs> raise your hand when you call back, and you probably will still be available because I have one more caller. So um, can you unmute the next caller, SFGovTV? Yeah, I want to thank the commission for supporting the renaming uh, at Blue Heron Lake, my name is Nancy DeStefanis. Nancy, I'm sorry, I'm I have director. to interrupt you. Um, 
we, you can't comment on an item that was already heard at the commission. I am sorry that we weren't able to hear from you earlier, but the commissioners did get your um, comment ahead of time and, and read it before the meeting. So I'm going to have to okay, cut you good. off there. Uh, apologies. Sorry about um, I think we have more hands raised. If we could unmute the next caller. This is Nate Valentine. Is this better? Oh, much better, Nate. Excellent. I just want to make uh, one point very clear that I think you probably all know. Um, but importantly, the really benefit of pickleball is not a sport that you get three buddies or four friends and go get a net and go to one court. The benefit is a community that's formed around multiple courts at one location during open play. I have I've lived in San Francisco for 20 years. I have met more diverse people, age, economically, racially, every which way you can imagine, through pickleball than in my 20 years in San Francisco. That is because of open play and density among courts in a location. Taking away six courts and replacing them with six courts at Moscone that don't have dedicated open play time that are lined without nets is not a solution. It is, take, it is eliminating one of the best things that have ever occurred to me and many people in San Francisco. I would urge you to consider the impact that taking away these discourse would have on a community that is thriving. It will change that community in a way that would be negative and will not be able to be replaced by adding six courts with not dedicated time. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you, Commission. I know it's a difficult job. We appreciate you. Thank you. I believe we, oh, Nate is the last caller. Okay, so seeing no further comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 15, commissioners matters. Commissioners, anything? I'm gonna do my report, because we put it at the end. Okay. Um, I wanna thank my colleagues today, again, for the election. Joe and I are a great team and we're very committed. And I want to greet and honor again Carrie and Brianna. We had a lovely ceremony in the historic commission room. The mayor um, swore them in, and it was really special, and it was great to see your families and friends. Welcome again. I look forward to continuing to work with you. Um, just want everybody to remember that we had a great uh, group of 350 statues called Monumental Reckoning, which encircled the plinth where the former statue of Francis Scott Key was. And it was a very solemn ceremony on Friday with the sculptor discussing what the slaves called homecoming when somebody passed away. It was their one chance when they were not free people where people would leave them alone to honor and memorialize their loved ones. And the 350 statues represented the original enslaved peoples who were brought on the first slave ship, which ironically was called the St. John the Baptist. You know, figure, go figure that one out. San Juan Batista. Um, and Dana talked about how we should not erase history, but we should teach and we should learn. And uh, I would just like to say that was a great thing that was brought to our park. Thank you, Reckon Park, for that. And Ben Davis of Illuminate and that nonprofit and the sculptor Dana King. And Ashley, I think, have I now covered everything that we discussed? Mm -hmm. Are those my yes. notes? Okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Anything else, commissioners? Okay. Any public comment on commissioners' matters? 
Okay, seeing none, I'm going to move on to new business agenda setting. Anything from the commissioners on that? Okay. Any public comment? All right, let's move on to communications. Any public comment on the communications? Seeing none, public comment is closed. We're now on item 18, adjournment. I need a second. Second. All those in favor, state aye. 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 Any opposition? No, we are adjourned at 1.58 p.m. Thank, Thank you. you.